podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. Good evening, afternoon, and welcome to episode 384 of Film Bastards. I am one of your co-hosts, Mark Foster, and as ever, I am joined by... Becky Foster, hello everyone. And... Ian Loring, hello. Uh, what do we have for you this week? Uh, we have the uh, latest Netflix offering, uh, Malcolm and Marie. Uh, and we also have a, a double banger. Um, of uh, reviews of movies that aren't actually linked anywhere apart from they remind me of each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we, we tentatively decided to do it as like a, a double bill retro review of the uh, movie South and Tales, which has fallen quite nicely because there's been a Blu-ray release of that that's come out very recently, hasn't there? That's fallen quite nicely. Mm, yep, absolutely. Um, and uh, Under the Silver Lake, which has fallen quite nicely because uh, my movie payment just came out the other day. And Becky is looked at me like, why haven't you cancelled this? Mm. Um, do you know, I feel like a better spiritual partner to Under the Silver Lake would be more fun drive. Possibly, yes. Also yes. fair. But yeah. Um... I, 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 I think it's um, celebrated young director makes film that everyone likes and then makes film that no one likes double bill. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, uh, it's and, 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 and also well, both quite interesting rewatches. Um, yeah. Gives excuses to rewatch things. Um, we'll have some. Uh, what have you been watching? Uh, I know we've got quite a, quite a lot, haven't we? Yes. Um, we 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 finished getting grishy with it, didn't we? Um, we will be doing bad, a, an extended uh, podcast on that for for patrons. Um, Two dollars a month for patrons, you get. Um, there was actually. A bit of the preamble before before the, the, the show where you get the, that extra bit was COVID chat in it, but it was very positive COVID chat. Um, so yeah, head on over there. While I'm doing this, I'll get rid of some housekeeping. We are not not that anyone's had a positive test result. Just no, like, no, 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 it wasn't like that. Wasn't yeah. that kind of positive. Yeah. Uh, while I'm doing that, I'll do a bit of the, the housekeeping. Uh, we are a We Are Pod Syndicate uh, podcast, um, so you can check out other podcasts on there, including his film, her movie, the rewatch project, Chinchlow versus Punter, What's on Tap, Entertainment Landfill, uh, Film Rant, and then you've got all the bonus shows. So you've got there and back again. Again, that wasn't again in there, which is uh, Ian and Jord from his film, her movie, uh, chatting. It's just you the... showing your vast under knowledge of the Hobbit world, isn't it? Well, and, and, 
also again wouldn't fit in any other part of that sentence yeah there again and back you fucking weirdo again back in there it could have been that uh you also have uh, oh i suppose you could have and back there again yeah oh no but then again that's still last yeah it is yeah yeah is that not what i said yeah but ian's saying because you went I'm sure there was an again in there somewhere, and he was like, where else would it be, you fucking idiot? That's a fair point. Yeah. <laughs> I am a fucking idiot. Um, what else have we got on there, the bonus shows? We're playing it forward. Uh, there was a new episode released last week, and it was really fucking good, so go listen to it. Uh, myself and Noel uh, are actually recording new Tales of the Tape Deck soon, which is Swayed Part 2, um, and there's other bits on there for you to listen to. So, yes, boom, bang. Uh, When's the next Slatecast, Mark? Uh, the next Slatecast will be, I think it's actually April because we've got another different bonus show podcast coming in uh, March. Yes, we do. Yeah, we, we're fucking stacking these motherfuckers up, and then we've actually got one for April set as well. So yeah, so we've got playing it forward, recording two weeks Friday. Yep. We're gonna do the Snyderverse, you, you, me, and Noel. Yep. And then in April, we're doing Return Destination, our look at the Final Destination films, yeah. I believe. Oh, no, that's March as well. Fuck me. Yeah, that is actually. Yeah, so we've got a lot of March going on. Yeah. So, yeah. Ian, what's happened in movie news this week? Um, yeah, but, you know, some uh, a, a bit of sad news. I mean, um, oh, the girls have just got home. Right. Uh, Christopher Plummer passed away. Um, fair fucking play, dude. Got an Oscar no- nomination a couple of weeks back, like an absolute. Uh, a couple of weeks back, a couple of years back, like an absolute boss. Um, you know, won an Oscar in the early uh, noughts and you know just had a fucking hell of a career. You know, good life worth celebrating. At least it wasn't like a tragic passing at a young age, and yeah. Yeah, ninety one, and he was he was in a movie what eighteen months ago that was a, a huge roaring success, mm-hmm. um, and he he always seemed like a just a nice guy, like one of, like one of the good guys. I actually watched a a weirdly because there's a lot cropped up about about him, not is it? And I watched um, a a little clip from. Um, one of the sort of the round tables that they do um, sort of pre-Oscars when he won the Oscar for uh, Beginners. Uh, and he was talking about working with um, Terence Malick on, um, I can't remember which one Malick one it was, the name has gone from my head. Um, he, he was talking about working with Terence Malick right there and basically talking about the fact that he didn't, about the fact that he didn't have a very good, experience working with him and the fact that they didn't get along he didn't get along with his um the process that he uses uh yeah the new world that was it yeah uh, but the way he's saying it it, it it was being really really nice about it yeah it's so rather than just saying it's ridiculous just this he was basically look the guy makes beautiful movies mm. there's no getting away from that but they're visual poetry what the man needs is a writer who will actually write a story for him that he has to kind of stick to. So we don't just get, because he's not interested in what actors are doing. That's why they all get cut from his, what is it? And the brilliant thing is, he literally, as he's saying it, motions to George Clooney, who is sat across from him, 
who was basically fucking cut from Thin Red Line, apart from one scene, and then they used him to sell the movie <laughs> by having that one scene in the trailer. So all these women who swooned over fucking ER and out of and the uh, one fine day of the movie with Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, who all went with their husband going, well, at least I get to see George Clooney as an army man. <laughs> Fucking didn't. Oh, poor lady. It was just... I mean, literally, Thin Red Line, in editing, he completely changed the story. Mm. <laughs> like, originally, it was the um, the lead character was um, Jim Caviezel. That's right. Yeah. Um, and he changed the story completely. And basically, Jim Caviezel's still there, but he's kind of sidelined for... Um, ben Chaplin and Sean Penn. And there's so many actors that ended up on the cutting room floor of that movie. Yeah. My still favourite uh, Terence Malick fact is that Nick Kroll appears in a Terence Malick film and he's in the credits and he didn't even know he was in the movie. <laughs> he went to a party and didn't know that it was a shoot for Terry Malick's movie. Oh, <laughs> Is that Knight of Cups? Yeah. Yeah, that's set in like the acting world, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and so he appears in the movie and didn't know until somebody mentioned it to him in an interview and he's like, I don't think I'm in that. I feel like, you are. You're literally in the credit. <laughs> <laughs> Deary me. Uh, no, yeah, so um, Christopher Plummer, hell of a fucking legacy. May we all live to be that old, but yeah. Um... Blue Sky Studios, the people behind uh, the Ice Age films and Rio and whatnot, have um, been closed down by Disney following the purchase of uh, Fox. Um, apparently, they were 75% into their next project, and it's been completely cancelled. Um, <laughs> so, so, so basically, somewhere the squirrel just told you they're not going, what? Yeah. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> But it's still about, uh, they reckon about 450 jobs, but um, they're looking to hopefully divert them to other Disney animation areas. So um, good luck to those people. The fucking, the fucking head animator for Ice Age 5 is now fucking showing people off the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Oh, don't, man. That's that's horrible. Don't say that. Um <laughs> The, yes. the director of Rio will now be playing Goofy at Disney World, Florida. <laughs> Not even Florida, Paris. <laughs> yeah. Um, He's got to live but, on site. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a bit of a shame, you know. Their last film was Spies in Disguise, which was quite, like quite fun. You know, like that, 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 that was all right. Um, so oh, no, that, yeah, that, that, that film did terrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it didn't really break out, did it? But it was um, a Fox film after the Disney acquisition, so they were only going to do so much. But yeah, um, it, it not exactly an animation studio that will be that well remembered, I don't think. But it's still, still a little bit sad, you know. Um, I'm just having a quick look back at there. What is it? Um, they're, so I mean, yeah, it was mostly the Ice Age movies, but their movies always made a good amount of fucking money mm. off moderate budgets up until their last two, which were Ferdinand, which did all right actually, and Spies in Disguise. 
I quite liked Ferdinand. I took lots to see that. That it was nice, gentle fun. Is that the one with Yeah, it was voiced by John Cena. Yeah, it was all right, it was Ferdinand. Um, yeah, so there, there we go. Um, I suppose that was just a quick one, really. Um, but yeah, just thought it was a bit sad. Um, uh, there's new pictures of the Joker in Justice League. He looks like a fucking idiot. Can't wait. <laughs> um, oh, like that film i am fucking fascinated by mm. um like I, it just god it's gonna i think it's gonna be really really fucking bad um like all this stuff like all these shots of um snyder like um looking at footage in the editing room and it's all in like gray scale and it's just like what the fuck's that about um it just i i don't know i just can't help but think he's kind of drunk the cool like the kool-aid his fat the fans have been uh getting for him and uh yeah i i, I yeah I, he's come out with some weird shit on social media as well about um how it's for the real fans and he he loves the fans that have been like sticking up for him even though a lot of them have been like kind of issuing death threats and shit so anti dc i don't know it's 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 right it's rough but we'll we'll see how it goes four hours is something yeah 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 like four hours anyway we shall see tom holkenberg's done the score for it though and i like I, I i'm kind of intrigued to hear that um even though Danny Elfman did the score for the the Whedon Justice League and had that little bit of the original Batman queue in it, which I quite enjoyed. But um, I don't know. To be honest, I'll probably end up watching the original Justice League before it for the Snyderverse stuff anyway. Lucky me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 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 I'm, I'm very intrigued by the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. It will be uh, that 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 will be a heck of a week. Um. That kind of feels like about it. Um, oh, the fucking Borderlands film is getting like I, we've spoken about that a couple of times. They've just added Jamie Lee Curtis to it. It kind of feels like is it just because it's like the only fucking thing that's actually preparing to shoot that these people have gone? Yeah, all right, then fuck it. I haven't got anything else to do for a couple of months. Where, where are you shooting? Hungary. I've never been there. Yeah, all right, then. It feels like that. I mean, Kate Blanchett, Kevin Hart, Jamie Lee Curtis. It's a good cast. It feels a little bit like they've gone. Like it's it, it's a bunch of actors who've gone. I, I never get uh, I never get off of this kind of thing. So yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, I, I I mean I don't know. Like all all the best to them. And I, I, I it just like it kind of felt like the kind of thing that they get like. Bruce Willis to turn up for a million a day for four days and then make no effort whatsoever. And but no, instead it actually seems like it's going to be quite a fucking A-list production. And uh, I mean, you know, fair fair fucking play to it. You know, fair play. And uh, speaking of video game uh, movies, uh, Resident Evil has got a release date. I believe it's set September second. Uh, it's going to be based on the first two original games. Um, and yeah why not that's all i've got to say to that will you be able to watch then sorry 
Will you be able to watch them better than play them? Oh, I can watch the movies. Yeah. Movies, yeah, movies are fine. It's uh, it's the games. It's the games I can't deal with because so this, this has nothing to do with the Mila Jovovich. Yeah, it's nothing. completely new. Yeah, they're completely starting again. Those movies have nothing to do with the games, really. Right. It's like thematically based on more than actually based on. Oh my God, the dude out of Upload is in it. Oh, one of the one of the Amels. Yeah. Robbie Amell, yeah. Yeah, there's two of them in there because one of them's on Arrow. I think, Arrow, yeah. All right, well it must be the other one then because it doesn't. Oh no, yeah, the guy of Upload plays Chris Redfield. That's interesting. Yeah. Like, what is Kyla Scodelaro Jill Valentine, is, is she? No, she's Claire Redfield. Oh, she's Claire, right. John Kerman, um, is that her off of Ant-Man? Ant-Man and the Wasp, yeah. Yeah. She's Jill Valentine. Oh, right. Um, Tom Hopper is Wesker. Hmm, don't know who that is. Uh, ne- Neil Bonner. He's a Neil McDonough is playing the Doctor, isn't he? Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, yeah, you know, I hope it actually does come out in September. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, and the thing is, I don't know. It just, it, again, it feels like there's such a fucking pent up demand now that. You know, if people feel safe going to the cinema, every single big film that comes out is going to do really well for a good period of time once people feel safe. It's just when do people feel safe? Who knows? I think that's going to be a personal decision for everyone, isn't it, really? It's not. Yeah, yeah. Even though this is a good segue. We oh. ready for the segue? Yeah. yeah. There's been some Super Bowl spots. Didn't yeah, think that was going to happen. Mainly slightly muted than usual, but they've definitely been there. Yeah, yeah. So like the Fast Saga, they're saying it's coming this year, and I think it will. Yeah. Because Universal have got that fucking VOD deal, so they can you know, release it where they can in May, and then like a month later, at least in the US, they can put it out on VOD and make an absolute fucking killing on that. Uh, can I make a prediction? Hmm. Ain't coming out there. It's not coming out there. August or September, I reckon it'll come out. Yeah. But I don't reckon it'll come out in May. I could see that. I, could I think it's been too soon, and they'll look at it and go, August, September still strikes for us as summer movie and if they're looking at like they're going right back this is where we can go boom mm. hopefully that gives us six months to market it get it out and everything like that and get people a little bit comfortable yeah I, I, my only thing there though would be if black widow hits may fast will and also fast, I think, is I, I want to see what exact date is actually due. Bear with. Right, it's the 28th of May. So that is what? Three months. 
Yeah. That, to me, that feels like, you know, if based on the UK pro- 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 like looking like what the timescale is, if hospitality is like back open early May, you give it a few weeks and then late May, boom, Fast and Furious in the cinema. That could be fucking massive. That's it. They've got to time this really quite well uh, with this one because what Fast and Furious, what what this particular one doesn't need is to perform badly because they want this one and then they want one more to kind of to finish off the saga. They want it to be ten movies, and with it being this one being the first sort of big one that is. Well, without Paul Walker and without um, The Rock that helps kind of like relaunch it, this one is, is very heavily on Vin Diesel and John Cena. So it's, it's it already seems like it has a it has a lot going against it. Or not going against it as such, um, but it has a lot kind of like already against it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't. It, it it's just the fact that they've got this PVOD deal. You know, it's like in the UK as well. It will be assuming it it's big. They'll have to leave it like six weeks, but six weeks later, stick it out on PVOD for fifteen ninety nine. Like I, I just I I I think I think people will go go for that. It all obviously depends on how the next couple of months go. Don't get me wrong, and with these new variants and whatnot, but. To be honest, I think it's coming to the time now that if cinemas don't open up again in the next three to six months, the studios are just going to pull the trigger on PVODing a lot of it. There's, yeah, there's... The, next, the next few months feel like like, they, like they're going to have to. I mean, let's face it, it's what is it? It's it's going on for five months now, isn't it? That since Cineworld closed, and that's the thing. And, and Cineworld have said. They are planning to open no later than May. And I th- I think the government will let them because hospitality is not going to be able to, to be closed until May. It's just it's it's not. You know, so as soon as that opens up, cinemas open up again. Cinemas were already doing a fucking fantastic job of making of, of being covid compliant. Yeah. You know, it, it just. And like, like I think we said before, if you've got a 15 screen cinema and it means that eight of them are showing Black Widow uh, screens are showing Black Widow and seven screens are showing Fast 9. No, you don't want that situation to last forever. But if it gets bums on seats in a way that actually gets people to start going to the cinema again, why the fuck not? Yeah, weirdly, I, I actually spoke to somebody who worked at Cineworld uh, about that a while ago talking about um to them just because I, I happen to run into them um uh, they were talking about the the, the idea of, of doing that um and he mentioned about the fact that it that people be worried about it uh that that, that would just happen verbatim and he was like there's, there's absolutely fucking no chance that would stick around going beyond it because it's you then you then run the risk of having um essentially of having two films on you have the potential that you might have 70 percent of your cinema is empty 30 percent of it is full 
70% of it is empty. He said, so once everything calms down, it'll go back to showing six, seven movies. Yeah, but he yeah. also did say the, the, the plan is Cineworld are very heavily invested in this idea now of uh, retro screenings. Yeah, I mean, I, they're gonna have to, they're gonna have to do so, they're gonna have to do something. Like I say, man, it's like there's there's so much content that's backed up, and they can't just keep on pushing it. Like these studios, they've got a fucking, they're all owned by parent companies, and these parent companies are fucking watching them like hawks. You know, everybody wants to see this stuff in the cinema. I fully believe that we will see this stuff in the cinema. I, I like we get we get through this next like month six weeks or so until cinemas are back allowed to be back open again and that like they're open again they don't close it you know it's just people are going to be vaccinated or they're gonna just have to risk it for life to continue um you know and and, and just going back to the actual tv spots itself i think it's interesting that it says in theaters summer but it doesn't give any fucking indication as to when like you said yeah, no, that, that that's it. Um, what do you think actual content of the actual? What is it? It looked CGE. It it, it why is it all, why is it all in a daylight? Mm. It felt a little bit. It looked a little bit when I was watching. Going, this looks a little bit. Yeah, like a plasticky, a bit Netflix film looking, which is not criticism, but you know what I mean, like the Netflix films rather than the movies like the movie we're going to talk about later on and a lot of the other movies, but just it, that, like that that huge which felt a little bit off. It didn't feel quite right. It was weird. TV, I think is the way that word, word phrase I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm a little bit worried about this, but then again, it, it's probably just going to be dumb, enjoyable fun. I think it's going to be... Ex- I, I think it's going to be very, very free star, which if COVID didn't happen, you'd be like, yeah, that was a bit of a letdown. Now, I think you'd be like, fuck it. Things exploded for a couple of hours and it was big. Yeah, it'll do. Um, So we also had uh, there was a short TV spot for nobody. Which again feels like one if cinemas are able to open up in like in in April that feels like one that could be released and do okay, um, and then it will be on VOD a little bit down the line. I'll watch Bob Odenkirk trying to do John Wick. Yeah, and the thing is, I'd, I'd probably watch it quite happily in, in a cinema. Yeah, but I would also quite happily watch it. On like Prime or something like that. Yeah, I mean it is it is one of those, isn't it? But I I don't know. I mean Section Eight, you did the John Wick action, did did the action here, so um you know there's hope. Um, a TV spot for M Night Shyamalan's old, you know, so a TV spot before a trailer's even come out for it. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. This is interesting because they shot this in the times of COVID. And I'm a little bit, who the fuck wants to see this right now? But I don't know. Host and Songbird and whatnot came out, you know, and it, it, I mean, it's an intriguing concept, but it's not going to be an island that makes people go old. There's going to be something. Fuck, there's going to be something else there. 
it, it, I already feel a little bit like that. There's going to be something else that's going to make me go. Really? Oh God, fuck off. <laughs> really? That was it. You got you. You got us all a sit down, and it's that. Mm. It's. I am. I. I I, I ran out of patience a long time ago with M. Night Shyamalan, and he dragged me a little bit back with Split, which I thought was crap, but I enjoyed the hell out of it. And then Glass was just garbage. And it's it's just like, you can't help yourself, can you? You can't help yourself <laughs> from being shit. He's outstated his welcome as far as you're concerned, aren't he? Yeah. Yeah, I, the, the, the thing is, it, I, it always pulls me back to the thing, and I, it, 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 it's a thing that um, that Tarantino has always said, in the fact that he makes, he always says, I, 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 don't make, I don't make movies to the audience, I make movies for, for me that I would enjoy watching, and thus I hope other people enjoy watching them. Yeah. And so that's that's what he says, you know, that, that that's the way that I do it, and it's the way that I think people should make movies, is for themselves in a sense of that's that make a movie that you want to fucking watch right mm. and actually seems to make a movie that he thinks makes him look brilliant <laughs> and it's just like fuck off <laughs> you know where does this hubris come from yeah it's a bit of an odd one isn't it it is it's yeah and i've enjoyed some of his movies but it's just yeah, I thought I don't get it. There's not many that are good, though. No, the signs were there with signs. Signs is crap, isn't it? That, 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 that this might happen. I didn't, I didn't even like Sixth Sense. I know that's heresy, but I didn't. Oh, we got glass shit, split shit. <laughs> split. Because it's shit. I didn't like it. After Earth, I've not watched it and I will not. You rewatched that recently, you Ian? After Earth, no, Last Airbender. Last Airbender, that was it. Not seen that. The happening. Is that the one where it's trees? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. shit. Yeah. Lady in the Water's there. That's not good. The village. The village is all right up until the reveal, and you're like, really? Fuck off. And it's got her in it, and I don't like her either. Bryce Dallas Howard, yeah. Signs. I didn't mind signs. That's the one where they've got glasses of water and Joaquin Phoenix wears a tinfoil hat, isn't it? Yeah. That's yeah. One. yeah. I don't mind signs. I don't like Unbreakable's pretty good. And Sixth Sense is pretty good. But it's time. It's been ruined now. Like you can't watch you can't watch the Sixth Sense and enjoy it now. Partly because Haley Joel Osment looks like he does now, and partly because you know what the twist is. Yeah. Um, the thing is, I know I'll go watch it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing I know I will go watch it <laughs> and I know I'll, get, I'll go I'll go into it hoping it's going to be good and come out and go you bastard you've done it again <laughs> yeah yeah the thing is though like I always think what's it is him and it's not is it what devil or something sorry no. devil yeah Oh, it was from the mind of M. Night Shyamalan. It was, it was like, it was written by him, or the story was by him, and it was part of The Night Chronicles, which was a one-film series of films yeah. where yeah. it was going to be him having idea. Yeah, and wasn't it like, 
the devil's in a lift. Yeah. Not bad though, Devil. Oh, I remember it being not bad. He's got a TV series at the moment, doesn't he, Dad? On uh, Apple TV, Servant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he had, was it Wayward Pines he had? Yeah, yes. That, that was alright. I watched some of that. Did you watch all of it? I'm not good with watching TV. Can't have been that good then, can it? You, you won't watch TV with me and then I'll lose track. Yeah, because TV isn't that good. Uh, what else was in there in those trailers? There was something else. Oh, there was the, what, the new trailer for uh, Coming to America. Yeah. Yeah. I'm up for it. Yeah. <laughs> it just looks a lot of fun. I do think that the barbershop bits are going to be the best bits in it again. I, I think the barbershop is one scene. Oh, I really hope it's more. I hope that one scene is 48 minutes long. <laughs> I, I, I I think I'll, most of it is going to be in Zamunda. Yeah, I'm doing that. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, hopeful. And I mean, it's fucking directed by, uh, Craig, what's his name, innit? Craig Brewer, innit? Craig Brewer. So I got hope there. Um, I'll tell you what, Amazon, Amazon are going to have a good March. They got that at the start and then they got the, um, Michael B. Jordan, uh, Tom Clancy film that they, they picked up off of Paramount. It's Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Bell. Uh, that, yeah, that, I saw a poster for that today. Yeah, without remorse comes That's out. It, yeah. I saw a poster for it and went, that looks that looks very mid-naughties, that poster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it looks throwback as fuck, which would make sense because it's, you know, Tom Clancy. I think, is it is it a Jack Ryan film? Is he playing Jack Ryan? I, I mean, Amazon do fucking love Jack Ryan. <laughs> Film. Former Navy SEAL turned CIA operative seeks revenge after his girlfriend is killed by a Baltimore drug lord. No, he plays a character called John Clark. <gasps> Do you know who else is in it? Guy Pierce. Keep going. Jody Turner Smith. Keep going. Uh... <gasps> Everyone's favourite. Everyone's favourite. Shit. He's back! He's back! He's the back! Comeback we've all wanted. He's back! This is Cam Chat that you're Yeah, about. everyone's favourite. Cam Chaganda, he's back! Oh, that's fucking awesome, that. Fucking hell. God. What a fucking guy. That's brilliant. What the fuck has he been doing then? Right, so he's he's done a few years on a TV show called Ice. Of course he has. That's probably what's kept him busy. Oh, everyone's favourite, Cam Gigande. Fuck. I'll uh, tell you what, he had a late noughties and a half. He fucking never, did, today. Never back down, Twilight, The Unborn, Jumbie wants to be born now. Um, Did you guys ever see The Unborn? Yes. Yes. The, the that fact, was one of the ass poster, wasn't it? Like, literally... He wants to be born now. It was like the tagline. And in the film, someone utters the line, Jumbie wants to be born now. I'll, I'll never forget that. I test screened that. Gary Oldman as well, isn't it? Gary Oldman? Yeah. 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 He plays a rabbi. <laughs> um, fucking hell. Pandorum? That Pandorum Pan- was fucking good. 
Pandoran was good. He was in Easy A and Burlesque in the same year. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, he was in Priest. Yeah. Um, big role in Priest. Yeah, he did. I mean, that's the thing. Like around what? that period of time, he really was everyone's favourite. Yeah. I remember seeing in a film um, called um, Bad Johnson, aka Schlong Story. <laughs> well, that's just incredible, right? <laughs> this is the premise of the movie, right? He plays a womanizer. Oh God, I watched this with you. Who, whose penis comes to life as a person? Yeah, he lives in penis. Yeah, <laughs> and his his cop keeps on calling him to berate him. <laughs> about how he's no longer a real man. <laughs> the cock is just going out there and literally being a cock to everybody. Yeah. It's, it's fucking brilliant. I'm not a misbehaviour. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm actually thinking about re-watching Schlong Story at some point in the next, what is it? Should we do, nice. it? Should we do a, everyone's favourite rewatch run? <laughs> we might have to at some point. Oh, oh my... <laughs> Kaushigande's back, guys. Ah, fucking hell. Um, fucking hell. What other trailers did we have, guys? Brilliant. Oh, Kaushigande. I think that I think that was it. I kind of spent, to be honest. Uh, we watched one um, called uh, Comics Sin. Uh, a Bruce Willis turns up and basically <laughs> just wants to sit. And I can't not. What? Not Comics Sin. Is it Cosmic Sin? Yeah, Cosmic Comic Sin. Fucking hell. I see that and I just thought it was called Comic Sans at first. So now I can't get out of my head. <laughs> nice. I thought, I think seriously made a movie out of the fucking worst font. <laughs> I mean, it, we're not far off. Yeah. Let's face it. If if you gave Bruce Willis 50 quid and a decent craft services, he would be in Comic Sans the movie. Yeah. Yeah. The, the amusing thing is that, that I'm finding about these new Bruce Willis movies is watching how much he has to move in them. In a trailer, and he's in it a lot, and Frank Grillo's also in it there, so I, I will watch it at some point. Yeah, but Bruce Willis is always stationary in movies now. <laughs> he is never moving, and he's largely sitting and smirking. The man... that you, You've got to admire the brass cue balls of it for the fact that he is outright not giving a shit. <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, oh God, I I just want to pull up. He's got 131 acting credits, right? But how many of those, right? Do we think were like before 2007? Oh, that's fun. Um, All right, let's have a fucking look. This is a this is a fucking epic old school tangent. This one. So we're going from before Die Hard. 4.0 is what I would say there. Do you know what? I reckon it's probably about half and half. Just very roughly. While you're counting it up, right, this year alone, according to IMDb, he is in Out Out of Death. Out Out of Death. What? A woman hiking through a forest witnesses four men committing a crime and attempts to escape, teaming up with a forest ranger along the way. It's him and um, Jamie King. Okay. Um, so, Out of Death, Cosmic Sin, as we said. 
Um, American Siege, Apex, Midnight in the Switchgrass, Reactor. Last year, he was in Breach, Hard Kill, and Survive the Night. God, I mean, he basically looks like he's pulling the same same face in every single one. Hello, sweetheart. You all right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. thank yeah. you, babe. Yeah. Oh, do you want to take these ones down? Thank you. Thanks, in, the, in the 20 years between Blind Day and um, the fourth Die Hard movie, he was in 49 movies. A lot of those were like small roles. But yeah. since then, it is like 70 in the 13 years since. And a lot of those are absolute trash. <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. It's just what... God, I mean, 2019, 10 minutes gone and tra- trauma center and motherless, motherless Brooklyn and glass. I mean, that's that's a written. Uh, that's a, that's yeah. a banner year for him, to be fair. That. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that really is, isn't it? What's Apex? He plays Jim Malone, five elite hunters paid to hunt down a man on a deserted island only to find themselves becoming the prey. Um, oh, shit, Neil McDonough's in that one as well. Um, I mean, yeah, just what, what, uh, the, yeah, what the fuck? It's so disappointing. Do you, know, do you know what the worst thing is? The more and more of these I look at, the more and more I go, oh, God, I've seen that. <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> right. So Edward Drake directed both Cosmic Sin and Apex. Cosmic Sands. And they're both coming out this year. And I mean, like, right, Breach, who the fuck did that? Written by Edward Drake. Directed. Who the fuck is this Edward Drake guy? <laughs> right. No, I'm pulling up his. Right. Director on nine projects Cosmic Sin, American Siege, which is also starring Bruce Willis and is out this year, Apex, Broil. Not starring Bruce Willis. Right, okay. So he Bruce Willis is in three films that he's directed all coming out this year, and it looks like they've never worked with each other prior. Yep. What who what the fuck is that about? That's so fucking weird. I feel like I've uncovered an under the Silver Lake S conspiracy here. It, this this trio, this fucking trilogy of movies do have a uh, tax deductible write-off written all over them, don't they? Don't this they is fucking though. money laundering. <laughs> don't they, though? <laughs> like, I'm just trying to find out if he's, like, the, the son of someone that he knows or something. Uh, oh, my word. We went down a rabbit hole. <laughs> Mate, I just, like, it's weirding me out. It's like, who is, like, why is Bruce Willis working with that guy three times in a year? Like, with the films all released this year. Like you say, that is, that is tax stuff. That's like his dad is really rich and can afford Bruce Willis's million dollars a day. No questions. I will not you ask you any questions. You will not ask me any questions. Like, and he just pays it and he turns up. 
That's baffling. That is baffling. Bruce Willis, man. That is fucking so weird. <laughs> Bruce Willis is a, a, a trio, a trio of movies with an Australian filmmaker that's made one of the movies. <laughs> and what's Nicolas Cage doing? He's doing a thing where he beats up a load of uh, like animatronics and looks like he doesn't say a word, and he's starring in Sion Sono's new one. You know. <laughs> You know, last year he was in the Richard Stanley's first film in God knows how long. You know, I mean, it, it's and he's got the unbearable weight of talent, which we talked about on the show a few episodes back. You know, it's I mean, they're both on the face of it doing similar. What the fuck is that person doing in that roles? And yet with Cage, it just feels like there is so much more sincerity there. With Cage, it feels like he's he's wandered into something though. That, that, that suits him like it, it he's dragged himself through the mire and has gone has landed at a place where you go actually do you know what this kind of makes sense i mean i i, I mean I, I told you on the whatsapp the other day mark but um bex it was in the, the boy chat i was listening to a podcast where they were talking about an interview that, um that the guy once did with nicholas cage where he asked him what kind of a role would you do no questions asked if you were just told you'll be playing a blah didn't expect Nicolas Cage to really like give a proper answer and said three things a submarine captain an astronaut and a chef and that's the thing that I think that that seems to be how Nicolas Cage approaches the roles it's literally what am I playing that sounds like a laugh I'm in yeah you know right now somebody is writing a movie about a fucking submarine captain who got shot into space as the chef <laughs> yeah it's a remake of under siege where it's set on a space submarine yeah it literally is that it's a space submarine that is going through some kind of planet that's largely made of water or some we could fucking write this <laughs> hello cool joe had two out of three in deep blue sea yep yeah he did He's just looking at El Goja and Deep Blue Sea and going, that's what I want. Put in space. I want, I want that, but in space. <laughs> Deep Blue Space. Yeah. But it would also need to be in the sea, in space. Yeah. Like a, like a ocean or a planet. Sea planet. Yeah. It's a big old sea planet. There you go. Yeah. Writes itself. That has no land at all. And they've got to go into it to see how it still keeps its form. Oh, and they find out that the... It's giant sharks. No, it's not just just <laughs> at the at the absolute centre of it all is just Bruce Willis just sat on a chair. Smirking. Just sort of smirking. And he's just and like just Bruce Willis. The American government pay me a million dollars a day to sit here, otherwise I move and this entire planet's gravitational pull is distorted so they just pay me to sit here yeah and he fucking loves it every fucking second of it yeah 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 i stay here until they find a way to stop the gravitational pull and as soon as they do they're gonna get me my fucking helicopter i feel like i leave for five minutes to sort of take care of round two of the oven cleaning and you guys just go off on a weird tangent <laughs> we haven't talked about our first movie yet and we're an hour in Let's we probably should. Yep. 
Imani's not fucking based on you. It's an amalgamation of a whole different thing, a whole bunch of things. Who? People. What people? A lot of different people. Mm. Like my cousin, okay. Rick, for one. You know, it's a lot of different cousin. people, a lot of cousin. different things. You know what, Malcolm? I feel like once you know someone is there for you and once you know they love you, you never actually think of them again. That's not true. It's until you're about to lose someone that you finally pay attention. Is that what this is? What? It's what you're threatening. If I don't apologize, I'm going to lose you? I'm not looking for an apology, Malcolm. Well, what do you want, a screenplay credit? Don't be cruel. No, I'm serious. I know we talk for hours and hours about work. Is it so much of a fucking nuisance that you like compensation? I had a draft of this script before you ever came into my life. Malcolm Marie is a Sam Levinson movie. Uh, he does Euphoria. Euphoria. Yes. Got it right. Um, and it stars Zendaya and John David Washington. That's it. That's all the people it stars. Uh, what's it about? Um, I'm just going to read the premise off Wikipedia. Oh, this will be good. Um, film director Malcolm Elliott returns home from his film premiere with his girlfriend Marie Jones. Their relationship is tested when they discuss the film, their lives, the film industry, and society. I'm going to do my um, one, uh, my little premise there. Uh, so Malcolm Marie arrive home from the film premiere of Malcolm's film, and they have a big old fight. <laughs> a big old fight. They do. They get some shit off their they chest. They get some shit off their chest. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a fucking fun review. <laughs> Ian, what do you think of Malcolm and Marie? I think the film buyers at Netflix just fling money at things. You know, this... <laughs> It, this was supposed to be uh, like a bit of a, a you know a bit of a, a awards contender, a bit of an Oscar botherer, and literally in the first five minutes alone, it's probably alienated virtually every single professional film critic out there. Um, I thought it was fucking hilarious, and I, it's not supposed to be. Um, like I just. I, I laughed at a lot of it and I've, unfortunately the performances are really sincere and I think they're both very very good but it's it it is Sam Levinson having a bit of a tantrum while also making sure that the crew of Euphoria had a job and so got paid during lockdown so you know I can't. I, the thing, I can't. I can't hate it because I found it really entertaining, um, at points. But would I say it's good? No, I don't think. I mean, it looks great. Shot on thirty-five mil, and I mean, just fucking gorgeous black and white photography. Um, but yeah. It is an argument for 105 minutes where even when there's like sexy times, it's still very angry energy sexy times. And they say some fucking horrible shit to each other. 
I mean, him more than her, to be fair. I mean, he really fucking goes for the jugular. Um, and then every now and then he monologues about how film critics are fucking twats. That bit's which, fucking amazing, though. Which I thought was really entertaining. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's it, you know. I mean, it completely... It doesn't feel like a character. It feels like Levinson just getting some shit off his chest. And do you know what? In a few areas, I think he's got a fucking point. I loved John David Washington's character saying, essentially, just because I'm black, all these film critics ask me questions talking about why my film is a representation of such and such. Can't I just make an entertaining film? Which I think is a really fucking interesting point. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, yeah. So, fascinating film. I'm not entirely sure it was good. And I think that they made out like fucking bandits getting Netflix to pay like $30 million for this. Well done, them. Becky, what do you think? Yeah, I actually I really loved it. Um, there's some there's some fucking great bits in it. The the monologue about uh, critics is one of them. And you know what? So what if it is just Sam Levinson talking and getting shit off his chest? They don't really get to do that. It's like managers, football managers. They don't really get to say an awful lot about like referees, for example, because then they just come across as having a tantrum. This is his way of having a little fucking tantrum on screen and getting some shit out there. Then fine do you know what fine the bit where she's having a go at him about shouting at her across the house while eating mac and cheese is fucking gold i loved that bit um there's just there's just some really like standout bits i think both performances are great it felt it felt you get a lot of times in films about relationships you get this sanitized fucking version that just it it isn't real life. Couples argue and couples can be really fucking cruel to each other when they argue because you, you're pissed off with the other person. You want to fucking hurt them. And it, it, this this sanitised representation of relationships in films makes people watch them and think, oh, well, that's what relationships should be like. Oh, my relationship must be wrong because we, we argue and these people I see on screen, they don't argue. People fucking argue. And the the bits where they kept sort of semi making up and then she'd be like but one more thing essentially <laughs> was it was it was quite relatable <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> if if you want to know what an argument looks like in our relationship malcolm and marie is basically the perfect movie for it because we kept on going Shit, this this is literally how our arguments go. <laughs> they're, not, they're not quite as cruel. They're not quite as cruel, but um, it, it wasn't far off how we argue. We argue and then we semi-make up and then we argue <laughs> and then we semi-make up and then we argue about the thing that's actually the real thing. <laughs> and then we actually make up. Yeah. Yeah. It was very much like, what's it going? Because we, we'd, we'd heard a lot of people say, you know, about it, say that, that this isn't what, relationships are like and people have, have arguments like that and when we would watch it going oh my god this is how we argue yeah we don't argue often do we we tend to bicker more than argue and i think that that is probably the healthier way to go <laughs> yeah. but if you let stuff if you let stuff build up then it, it comes out all at once and especially they've, they've clearly they've been out they've been drinking 
she even says that they've not eaten all day and it, it's just a fucking recipe for disaster and once it starts flowing they just keep going yeah but there, there is bits in it where like, it's a bit where he brings up about a trash that wrist with the nails and says that's that's unnecessarily cruel. That's just throwing something at her that she yeah. clearly told him that was that was sensitive. And there's bits like that, her sort of ragging on his entire fucking his existence is clearly wrapped up in him being a filmmaker. And her her bit about him being mediocre basically, that whole speech, it is it, kind of cruel too. Probably not as cruel as bringing up like the addiction stuff, but um but then it's it's broken up with with bits like the bit where he's ranting about the fucking review and she's just on the sofa fucking laughing at him is and, and occasionally jovially stirring the pot but not <laughs> yeah. like a nasty way just in a in a being a little bit of a fun dickhead way. <laughs> I mean I, I yeah I I liked that sorry to in, in, interrupt I mean I I liked that aspect of it was a good review yeah all right but I don't agree with why she thought it was good. Like, I just thought that that was quite an interesting, you know, I, I think everybody has those kinds of situations in life where they're kind of like happy with how something turned out, but kind of like not how it got there. You know, I I just, I yeah, I I thought that was interesting. And um, I just, again, like the dog whistle shit for some of film Twitter on this has been very entertaining to watch. I won't lie. But sorry, go on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think I'm about done. Yeah. I really liked it. I think it was it was obviously exaggerated, but when you when you scale that back a bit, I think most couples could probably go, Yeah, I've probably been guilty of that. Yeah, I probably did that. And you but you know, to a lesser degree. Does that make sense? Yep. Um I, I thought it was fucking fantastic. Um, I I think uh, Ian, you messaged it and said there's a monologue in it that you're gonna absolutely fucking love. Um, was that was that the the, the monologue the, uh, against the critic? Were you meaning? Well, there's because there's two, wasn't there? There's like one right at the start, start, yeah, and then the one later on, yeah. Um, I think I was talking about the one at the start, but I think it could probably apply to both. To be fair, yeah. Both were fucking brilliant. I it's just the the way that it's saying it, it, it it's flipping what the what would normally be a gripe. So normally the gripe for things like this is that that critics or people aren't seeing the subtle nuances in everything and all that lot. This isn't. It's it's a gripe of can't it just be fucking entertaining? Can't it just be a fucking good fucking movie? Mm. And it, it, there's, there's that, and I, I like that about it. Why does everything have to have a fucking meaning to it? Not everything is a fucking meaning. And yes, absolutely, you can have meaningful movies, but not everything has to be a fucking meaning. I love the fact that they keep referring to her as the white, the white lady or the white chick, whatever it is from the LA side. Yeah. yeah. And so there was a whole. <sighs> It, it felt, I mean, for start, it looks fucking great. It really does, yeah. They're both very good actors. Mm. What it also, I think, shows in, in terms of the fact that the whole film is one long argument is that in an argument, it's very, very rarely you have somebody who is right and somebody who is wrong. Mm. Um, 
and in an argument you you very rarely have somebody who is acting right not even like to their point but in terms of he's, he's arguing the right way and somebody's arguing the wrong way it's always a mixture of both mm, mm. both people are essentially being reasonable and also at exactly the same time mm. that is why it is an argument if it wouldn't it would just be a discussion yeah and, and that and i like the fact that, it, that the film isn't afraid to go we have two actors in one location for an hour and 45 minutes and what we're going to do is we're going to show you them at their absolute worst but we're not even going to show them at their absolute best either we're just going to show that they're not that they're actually real flawed human yeah, beings but we're going to show them being just complete dickheads but we're never going to push it too far it's never going to get violent. It's never going to mm. get overtly nasty. Mm. It's just going to get mean mm. at points. Yeah. And I, I like that about it, in the fact that we're also, we don't even really have that much of a fucking resolution towards the end of it. No. Um, I also like that. It, it's a snippet of, of, of life. Well, and, and it's, was she reasonable? to um to be pissed off about the fact that he didn't thank her absolutely D- did she go way on the start with it but that's not what yeah. she was ultimately but that's not ultimately off. she was pissed off yeah. about yeah another point there but it's that's it all the points there are you can see their point and you can see his point you can see her point you can see and it's it is looking at it from the outside mm. if you were to explain an argument to somebody or somebody was to watch an argument and then the two arguing people turned around and went, whose side are you going to pick? It's like, wait, well, you're both kind of wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that is the great thing about arguments is universally when people have an argument, they're both usually wrong. <laughs> I just I like my... Sorry, Bex, go on. I was going to say what I, what I do um, kind of... Throughout the film, they're arguing and it's it's horrible and they're saying some horrible shit to each other. But then it is broken up quite often by stuff that, that it doesn't take much to de-escalate them. Yeah. Like the review coming through and it's like, shit, where's my phone? Where's this? Where's that? Where's my credit card? What, you don't have fucking Apple Pay? Dickhead. And it, it, you kind of get the feeling that they're arguing and they're getting shit off their chest, but they're not going to split up. It's not one of those arguments and it never really feels like it is. No. I think well, they fucking it, should split up, minds, but sorry. It it just feels like there's there's just some shit that they need to get off their chest and they they're doing that. And what was the there's like one moment where like it completely just goes flat all of a sudden. The argument, I can't remember what it was. I think it might be the one where it's um like she does the bit where um da, 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 and this is what authenticity gets you know, that whole bit and yeah. pretending to still be an addict and stuff and then just stalks off into the background and he just goes well why don't you fucking do that at the end <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah it made me just burst out laughing <laughs> you know it just it feels like it, it feels like an argument and a serious argument and stuff that needs to be discussed but it, it doesn't feel like a breakup argument right. and i think it, it's it feels like it feels like a couple that have arguments a lot, never to, not usually at that extent, but they kind of do live within a realm of turmoil at points. Mm, mm. Yeah, sorry, and you were going to say something. No, 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 no. Um, to be honest, I think yeah, I, 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 it, 
I suppose just the fact that I kind of thought from a very early stage, these two probably just need to break up. They seem a little bit toxic for each other. And um, I mean, that one scene where he's monologuing at her in the bar when she's in the bath, it was just like, nah, no, you know, don't you don't I, 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 I don't know. I don't see how they come back from that. I mean, I, the, the whole structure of it, the he has a turn, then she has a turn, then he has a turn, then she has a turn. I, I get it. Like, but it it. It was interesting. Like I, I was, I was listening to Como talking about it. He was just like, I was hearing dialogue written by a writer, and I was seeing performances performed by actors, and like I never really felt anything from it. And I, I, I'm not like that, but it was very. They are both very good, but they are just kind of performing dialogue and performing it really well. And I, I, I think part of that just comes from the fact that they wrote it quickly, they shot it quickly. And I, I, I think if you had more norm, normal circumstances, I think though that like those things would be ironed out before they started shooting. But I think you would have lost something for that though. I, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. I think there's. There's an, a weird energy about it. That's the, it. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, it's, it's, it, 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 if you... Arguments are rushed. If you try and flesh out an argument, it goes from being something that is... that, that, that felt like an argument in Malcolm and Marie to fucking Adam Driver turning around and punching a wall. <laughs> <laughs> you know and, and that that's the difference is this felt it was it was fun and it was funny it mm-hmm. was i laughed an awful fucking lot in it and maybe you shouldn't but i i, I do think the film wants you to laugh at points i think that he wants they want the film that the the, the, the the big ramp in the middle that is played for fucking laughs. Yeah. That is somebody who has started saying something and just can't fucking stop and has literally exhausted himself at just going for it. The thing is, as well, like with, with, with the argument and the his turn, her turn, his turn, her turn bit, you kind of get the feeling that they're both like fucking knackered. They've started this argument that neither of them can really be asked to fucking finish. But, but they've started it now, yeah. so they've got to see it through. And neither of them want, neither of them want to give up any fucking ground. No. But, you know, from the, the explanation of, like, when she's saying about um the, the whole thank you, Marie, kind of bit, and she's saying about all the stuff that she does for him and the, 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 the life, that, it kind of explains a little bit about the life that they have together yeah. out of sight of this. And it's like, they probably have quite an overall healthy life together it's just shit's bubbled up i don't i don't i, I can i get where you're coming from Ian, with it with it feeling a little bit toxic at points but i just i don't know I, that's that wasn't my takeaway from it I, 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 yeah, yeah i don't know um uh, maybe just I, I i don't tend to argue with don all that much it's just we have a the way we work is we just seem to have a good sense of when the one kind of just wants the other to not be around it to be honest it's usually don basically like 
go you know going off and maybe doing something and what you know and that's just kind of like how we deal i suppose so um seeing this I, I, I don't know. I just have a very good relationship with my wife. And I'm not saying that you guys don't because you you were saying like that, that it was similar to your arguments. It's just I'm sure it wasn't like this, though. Like when you guys are having arguments, I'm sure you're not saying some of the fucking nasty, like the really nasty shit that he is saying to her at points. Um, I don't know. Or maybe you are. I don't know. Maybe I've just opened a massive hole for myself. I don't know. Um but yeah, I just for me it felt like you two should not be with each other. Like you, you're Let's obviously get... <laughs> sorry. Us two. No, no, Malcolm and Marie. <laughs> I think it's it's a weird one. I think um... Becky and Mark, you two have got work to do. Don't get me wrong, but I think it's <laughs> right. I think it's one of those. I think it's just. I it's a little bit of a, a weird kind of trigger for me. This isn't it? I, where. At the moment, it's uh, people in relationship. Everyone's relationship is different, and everyone's relationship is good and bad for, for very, very different reasons. And everyone and people, the way that people deal with relationships, deal with conflict, is different. And there's no right or wrong way to to deal with it. And some people's relationships are more um, the best way to. I think what I can use to have it is volatile. There is an outright wrong version of volatile. And there are many outright wrong versions of volatile. Um, but, um, and we don't have, I wouldn't say we have a particularly volatile relationship. Which is kind of fiery. But we, but we can be quite fiery with each other. Um, and neither of us want to go around, and so we have arguments. You're making out like we are. Not, like, not, not like a lot, but we, we, we do. But th- that's the weird thing, it, it works for us. But if you were to take some of the things that either of us have said to each other, we're never actually that cruel or anything to each other, are we? But if you were to take them out in isolation and things like that, oh, God, yeah. it would sound probably fucking horrible. But in reality, it's not. It's just arguing. It's, yeah. fucking, it's a weird one. And if you were to take that and go, right, this is what this is what he's what this viewer said, this is what he said to me in previous times, and he just let listed it out in that. All right, bitch. Well, this is what you said to it, me. It, 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 people would go, "Oh my god, what a bastard!" And I'm there going, "Whoa, fucking wind back a little bit." <laughs> and I think it's just, it's just that. And in the in the fucking times we live in at the moment, um, it's there are outright bad people within relationships. That is a fact. Yeah, there is. Abuse goes on, um, and it, it is there is a very big difference between the verbal abuse that is happening to people that is genuinely serious than to me going, "You're being a fucking bitch right now." Being a bitch right now. Yeah, to 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 that, it it is, and I think that some kind of context and some kind of mm. balance needs to be put into the way that that, that these things are, are escalated well and discussed as well i think mm. it, it it detracts from people that actually are suffering yeah 
which is a whole different thing to, to the Malcolm and Marie thing. I just think it's it, it was quite nice seeing a film that isn't afraid to show two people being fucking arseholes while looking magnificent while they're doing it. Absolutely. And what I will say is, I, I of all the of all the actor uh, things that could be considered for best actor this year, I would pick fucking John Dean Washington in this. I think he's incredible yeah, in he's this. Very very good, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. It will happen, but. That would be my choice. I think it's fantastic. Mm. It was. I, I, I'm surprised at how much I enjoyed this. That I liked it. Yeah. It's fucking brilliant. It looks stunning. Yeah, because it was. It was kind of. Obviously, it, it, it's a serious kind of film. It's got all that kind of shit going on, but it because of the funny moments and because of the sort of like levity that's in there, that's, that's popped in there, it, it stops it from being a slog. Because mm. I was a little bit worried after the first big monologue, thinking, "How long? Forty-five minutes of this? Oh <laughs> god." Um, yeah, but five out of five for me. You don't do out of five, man. I know. I, I forgot briefly. Uh, but yeah, definitely not shit. Ian. Yeah, I, I, you know what? I don't think it's shit. Um, I, I'm obviously not as high on it as as you guys are. Um, I, I think there are that there are problems with it, but I think it's a really interesting bit of work. And I think as a piece of like lockdown filmmaking, I I, I think it's of worth. So yeah, yeah, def- definitely not shit. Becky. Yeah, definitely not shit for me. Cool. Uh. Should we do some what we've been watching before we do self and tales? Um, do audience poll? Oh yeah, I've got it in front of me, yeah. Um definitely not shit, 43%. Touching cloth 14%. Shit 29%. Fucking hell, some critics followers. Uh and Geostorm 14%. Nice. Just to say, I I'm guessing Kermo didn't like it. I think he was just very nonplussed by it. Yeah. A, and I like Carmen, but a rather soft-centered uh, film critic not liking a film that criticizes critics. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, to be fair, there's been more adverse reactions. Yeah, there was. It's been it's been funny to see some of those, to be honest. Mm. Some people tying themselves in knots to try and work out why they didn't like it without going. It's because it told me off. <laughs> Um, hey Hannah, you know, I think you really can't be a good rewatch of a TV show. Would you agree with that, love? Oh, yes, I would. Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think during, you know, global pandemics, storms, all of these things, it's quite nice to just sit down and burn through something that you've seen a million Absolutely times. Absolutely nothing like a binge watch. Star Trek. Babylon 5. Because you could sit there for hours looking at serial killer documentaries. Absolutely. Uh, that Netflix. doesn't make you a weird person uh, at all. It doesn't. Yeah, you could watch documentaries that all seem to be about women killing men. Love you, darling. You could put off watching Daredevil for the 30th time. Harry Potter. But really, you can't be immersing yourself in the warm jumper of a rewatch of a show of or a, a franchise. beloved franchise. A beloved franchise. Lord of the Rings. Twin Peaks. From VHS compilations recorded off television with the ad breaks, cut out of course, to DVD box sets of Sex in the City and I don't know, Smallville. 
Farscape. Quantum Leap. So giving up finding new content on Netflix and just having a comfort trawl through Star Trek The Next Generation or Parks and Recreation. I think that we can all agree. There's a lot to be said for that. You can't beat a good rewatch. So... With that in mind, join Anna and Mike from Chinstroke vs. Panzer as we burn through some of our favourite franchises and share our immediate reactions to each instalment in both spoiler and non-spoiler sections. To do that, do a search for The Rewatch Project with Hannah and Mike on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whichever your favourite podcast provider may be or go directly to anchor.fm forward slash rewatch project. We are proud members of the Pod Syndicate family of podcasts. This podcast you're listening to, pretty good, isn't it? Only problem is, it's about halfway through. Pretty soon, it'll be over. And then what are you going to do? Well, if you're a fan of this show, why not head over to wearepodsyndicate.com and subscribe to our brand new feed, Pod Syndicate The Bonus Shows. Every week, your hosts from Beyond the Neon, Chinstroker vs. Punter, Entertainment Landfill, Film Bastards, His Film, Her Movie, and What's on Tap will be dropping bonus shows right onto that feed. These shows might be collaborations and crossovers, or they might be archive episodes, interviews, one-offs, and other treats from across the Pod Syndicate network. So, prepare yourself for the inevitable disappointment of this Pod Syndicate show ending by heading to wearepodsyndicate.com and clicking on The Bonus Shows. We now return you to your regularly scheduled Pod Syndicate podcast. Oh, Very good. Well, what have you been watching this week, bud? Uh, so, uh, I've got a few. Um, rewatch The Truman Show. Uh, with uh, Donna on Friday night. Um, it's on Netflix. Um, first time in a while, and MVP Laura Linney. Quite frankly, um, I love what she's got to do with that. Where you know she's very obviously an actress acting in this role, but there's some like insidious shit that she ha- like. There's a the whole kind of like trying to convince Truman that he, he he should stay where he is and whatnot. And she's like, I thought we were going to try for a baby. And like the way she plays that, um, it's very, very dark. Um, but then when like, it's kind of like her last big scene where Truman's kind of like got the, this kitchen utensil thing. And he's kind of like going for her with it. And like the way that she has to, she's trying to play the veneer of loving wife and, but the real shit scaredness is breaking through. I, 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 it, she's very, very, very good in it. Very good. Um, I mean, I think Gary's decent as well. Um, yeah, it, it, it just, a, it feels weirdly quaint now. Um, does, does the Truman show, um, you know, when you've got things like love Island where it's, you know, basically smushing dolls together to see if they're going to fuck. Um, and it, yeah, with, with this, it's, you know, the idea of people sleeping while Truman sleeping and leaving it on and finding it comforting, that kind of thing. It's quite a rose tinted view of what the world is. I think. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, 
Um, yeah, I, you know, it's a very sweet natured film, and I, 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 I like it. But I like that it's got those t- like those tinges of darkness to it as well. So yeah. Um, watched the Great Mouse Detective, uh, the film that Disney put out after the Black Cauldron. Um, Sherlock Holmes with mice, but Vincent Price voices a rat called Professor Rattigan, and he's great. It could have done with like two hundred percent more Vincent Price. Yeah, he's fucking brilliant. Um, actually, it's done in the cinema, like nice. not well, not, not its initial release, but on like yeah. a, a like Saturday morning fucking kids club thing. Yeah, I yeah, and I, I I don't know. I thought it was harmless enough. I I had some fun with it. Lossie wasn't interested in the slightest, but I watched it all. Um, and one and my last one because we've had quite a busy uh main review week. Um, <laughs> so um, watched Under the Silver Lake, having a look through movie. What else is on movie? What else could I maybe get watched today? Never seen that before. Do I want to watch it? No, not really. Should I probably watch it to have a conversation? Yeah, all right then. Paul Verhoeven's Showgirls. Um, <laughs> so we have noted multiple times in the past that sex on screen, I'm not super. It's like, it fine, it's there. I don't find it particularly erotic and I feel more uncomfortable than anything else i don't know just must be my upbringing um so showgirls was kind of excruciating at points yeah, I was say, that minute you fucking like grip into the fucking seat <laughs> yeah yeah um you know donna came in at one point and she was just like what the fuck are you watching um uh you know and i i had to give some context behind it you know Paul Verhoeven, the director of Robocop, you know, it's the first NC-17 wide release in the US ever, you know, and the good thing is Don knows that, and I, I don't, I'm not just saying this, I don't do porn, I don't, I, like, I don't do stuff like that, it does just make me uncomfortable, I mean, don't get me wrong, in my personal life, obviously I've had sex, you know, and it's, it, it it's something I pursue, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know that's the thing i even feel weird talking about it you know oh uh, you know pursue with my wife i should make very very clear <laughs> um i but yeah i the thing is right none of is any of it actually sexy because you that, said no that's the that, that that i think is the is the beauty of showgirls is the fact that it's a miserable fucking story. It's fucking horrible, bud. Right? It's, it, it's not very nice. None of the sex feels like actual sex either. It is all an imagination of what sex might fucking look like, but then makes it look either ridiculous or not sexy. So you've got the, the sex scene with Carmen Lockett in the pool, which doesn't look like a sex scene at all. Then you've got the one with uh, what's his name, the the dancer, mm. um, where he literally puts his hand down her pants and she's like, no, don't do that, and he goes and going, and then he's like, oh, and she's like, yeah, 
that's why I said don't do that. And it's like, it's, and then you've got the other bit of her having the, um, giving Carvalho and the lap dance. She's just being used by Gina Gershon to just make him feel like shit. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant. None of the, the nudity in it or anything like that is vaguely erotic. It is just nudity that is there so that Verhoeven can essentially go, uh, wait, you're going to try to jerk off to this? Good, because then I'm going to give you this. Or I'm going to give you this. Or I'm going to give you this. Or I'm going to make it so uncomfortable that that you're not going to want to jerk off. But Paul Verhoeven forgets that 15-year-olds exist. I mean, yeah, I mean... Th- th- sorry, Bex, go on. Oh, Bex is, Bex is literally still cleaning an oven. <laughs> oh, sorry, I thought I fucking heard it then. Um, the, like, the pool scene is long enough that I think, you know, if 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 you found that a goer, then I think, you'd, you know, you'd probably be all right, you know. And it, it's, it, it has, I don't know, it's got those moments, but it's like the... The arc of, and I mean, Elizabeth Berkeley, and I, I don't think this is her. She's obviously been directed to do all this. But she's just like 30% extra with every single line reading. Or, or, there's, a, there's a brilliant bit at the start, I believe it is, where she's eating a burger and fries. Uh, yeah. And you're looking at going, nobody has ever eaten anything that aggressively ever no and it's like that the woman with her says something and then she just slams her fucking hands on the table and like ketchup literally squeezes itself out of a bottle and it's just it's and i mean god there's one bit where like i don't know she just like spins around and then just falls to the ground and starts howling and it i it's like bless her because apparently after this she got dropped by her agency and no one would touch her with a barge pole and it's not her fault you know it was it was the film by the guy who directed basic instinct you know it was a big break into filmmaking and it's showgirls you know and i i I hope in the you know obviously she's in the say by the bell reboot and whatnot it's not like she was on a she was on a downward spiral she didn't get out of but I I just I I feel very very sorry for her, you know. And I mean, like, like Carl, Carl McLaughlin as well. Like I, I it looked like it kind of fucked his career a little bit as well at the time. Um, and apparently he was horrified when he saw the film. He was just like, "Fuck me, we made that." Yeah. Um, and yeah, he, I just he, he recently um spoke about it because someone was asked tonight. It felt like this big this big cult following and everything like that. And his point was, he said. said yeah, that, that that's really cool that the, the new people discovering it. He said, "Can we just uh, can we just not start coming back to the idea that this is a that it's somehow now a good film?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I suppose that 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 is, I think that's where I come down to it. On uh, to be honest, I mean, so there was that documentary last year, "You Don't Know Me," about the kind of almost like the cult of showgirls, and I get the whole camp classic thing because there are individual scenes in it that you could see as being so bad they're good um i mean but like yeah i just i thought it was really really fucking depressing and but the thing is it's depressing but also like the acting in it is being it done in such a way that it, it, it it's trying it's trying for camp while also telling a really fucking horrible story and it's an odd 
odd combination and it doesn't work for me. And if if people like, I mean, if, if people like it, fair play. I could see how some people could get something out of it. And that's that's not me throwing shade at those people. Different strokes for different folks, you know, that's absolutely fine. But for me, Carl McLaughlin saying something like that, I get it. That's it. The thing is, I I like showgirls, and I I liked showgirls 25, 25, 26 years ago when it came out. Yeah. But I'm not gonna go to bat for saying that it's a good movie. I like it because of all the reasons why it, it, it's it's necessarily a bad movie, and it's not even a, it's so bad it's good. It's a I can appreciate what I think Beethoven was going for. I just don't think at any point it lands. It's why I've only seen it in like 20 odd years. I've only seen it a couple of times. It's not something I can constantly go back to. Um, but I've, I've had fun watching it. Um, and yeah, it, it literally, when that came out to rent on DVD, I lived on DVD, on VHS, fucking hell. I lived in like 14. So I was in prime. There's a lot of tits in this fucking region. Um, yeah, true. But it was... It was part of a mid-90s kind of wave of... You'd had um, the late 80s um, and the early 90s wave of, of erotic uh, thrillers, which, you know, if you go back and listen to um, Playing It Forward, our latest one of that, we talk about Jude. Um, and that, that's the thing. Jade, Jade I find Jade... Yeah, I find Jade really entertaining. I like. I really liked Jade. And you know, there's some sex, there's some sexy time shit in that. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying I felt uncomfortable watching it or whatever. Showgirls, I, it feels like as close to porn as Hollywood has ever actually got. Well, this is the, yeah, this is what I mean. Is you had movies like this that were marketed, not based on the story or anything like that, that were marketed on a a person you know and showgirls was hey. Remember that girl, the the, the, the geeky girl um, from Saved by the Bell? What, Tiffany Amosessin? No, 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 no. The tall one with the, with the curly hair. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you want to see her tits? And that's essentially how it was marketed. And in the same way as a few months later, you had um, Striptease came out, which was marketed on, do you want to see Demi Moore as a stripper? Yeah. I fucking do. Here you go. Here's striptease. It's the point of where most people don't even know that that's a fucking comedy. <laughs> and that's how these movies are marketed. They were marketed on, you're going to get to see this new day. And it happened for a few years, like three or four years, where you had big, major fucking like blockbuster releases almost that were marketed on you seeing a big star nude. Yeah, yeah. It's insane that that, that that is it. And, you know, you, you, you can look back, it's looked back on almost like this, um, like almost like it was exploitative and things like that. Demi Moore made the most money of any movie that she's ever made was off striptease. Sure, sure. And it was, it was her idea, almost. It's amazing that, that you have these things. And it was, it's such an odd time where it was Hollywood took one thing and then just ran fucking too far with it and essentially went, do you know what? It was a version of what um, of what American Pictures used to fucking do um, and what um, Charlie Kaufman used to do, which was 
not Shag Kaufman, uh, Lloyd Kaufman used to do, which was, let's <laughs> let's give you a fucking poster and a trailer where you think you're going to get this, but actually you're going to get this. But I don't care because you've already bought the fucking ticket. Yeah. That is what this little fucking spell of cinema was doing. You didn't care because you'd already bought the fucking ticket. Yeah, I, I, yeah it, it's just 100% not for me. And it, it's, I don't know, I, I you know, it, it does seem to be that the consensus is that Showgirls is actually like an interesting bit of work, blah, blah. I don't know. It's kind of essentially a soft core, a star is born, but like very, very badly acted. You can reevaluate that all you want, but nah, not for me. That, that's last, it. That's that's it. Uh, Bex, what have you watched? Watch anything solo? Because I've not. So basically, it worked last week. So. <laughs> I've watched. Watch Groundhog Day. Did you watch on Groundhog Day? No, I watched it a couple of days after Groundhog Day. Everyone's talking about it, and I was like, that's a really fucking good film. So I watched it. There's some dark places that I don't remember between watches. I like Groundhog Day. Mm. I like the movie Groundhog Day. But this weird thing where somehow it's become like a five-star fucking classic over the past few years it is a bit weird for me. It is pretty fucking good. Yeah, I like it. I like it. People like it, people like it, that's great. I just, it seems to have taken like a lot of years for it to get that status, and mm. it feels odd. Yeah. No, it's, it's very, very, very what's his name? Little Marie. Yeah. Um, I like it. Yeah, I good. Good. Oh. Um, but yeah, re- rewatched that. Um, really fucking good fun. Um, and I watched Moana after we discussed it last week. And yeah. Considered the coconut. Yes, yeah. you did. Did you consider its leaves? I did. Each part of the coconut is all you need. <laughs> um, still, it's still my favourite modern Disney movie by a mile. Um, One of fucking rules. Yeah, yeah, sorry. It's really fucking good. What's that song that's in it? That song, the, the song that's in it, and then he's in it again, and then again, and then a fucking game. And then again, and then There's again. There's the sand and the sand and the ski and, the and it calls me. That yes, one. that. Great. I had to check out when that came on for about the 15th time. Yeah, it is repeated a lot. But that's like, it's, it's like, it's a thread that runs through the whole film. So, um. No one knows how far it goes. It's great. There's some really good songs in there, actually, to be fair. And then there's also Dwayne The Rock Johnson singing. The thing is, with with Moana, I liked it. I enjoyed it when I watched it. But it's one of those that that I never have to go back to. And I'm glad that Isabel isn't of a certain age that she would make me re-watch it multiple times. Yeah, no, I get that. Because you know that there are parents out there that have seen Moana 39 times. And just, if you, if he went, so went, have you considered the coconut? They'd go, have you considered me putting my foot in your ass? <laughs> um, sorry, bit of breaking news. Yeah. Judd Apatow's next film. Sorry? Go on. 
Judd Apatow's next film has been announced. It's a it's a pandemic one. A meta comedy about a group of actors and actresses stuck inside a pandemic bubble at a hotel attempting to complete a studio franchise film, which apparently is taking its inspiration from Jurassic World Dominion. Um, Starring uh, Pedro Pascal, Karen Gillan, Maria Bakalova, Iris Apatow, Fred Armisen, David Duchovny, Keegan-Michael Key, Peter Serafinowicz, and Leslie Mann, obviously. Yeah. I... All right, I'm on, I, yeah, I'm on board for that. That's an interesting cast. Um, yeah. yeah. It will be 138 minutes long. <laughs> uh, yeah. It will. Um, Killen and Pascal will be the franchise's stars. Yep. Man and Duchovny are going to be playing a one-time married acting duo now finding themselves under the same roof alongside their teenage daughter played by Iris Apatow. Are you predicting that's what it's going to be or are you reading that's what it's no, going to be? No, I'm reading it from The Hollywood Reporter. All oh, right, well. <laughs> so, so Leslie Mann and Iris Apatow are stretching themselves again in a movie by playing mother <laughs> and daughter. Yeah, well, yeah, quite. Sounds all right. Yeah, it does actually. I'll watch the shit out of that. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. I just thought that was interesting. What else you got, Bex? That's it. That's it. Right. Should we, we motor through some of these? I, think we I am Moana. Sorry. Uh, we finished watching Gingerbread Man, didn't we? We did. Which is not based on a John Grisham novel. It's based on a screenplay that he wrote, and then they changed it off. Um, and it stars Kenneth Branagh uh, in one of the most Kenneth Branagh of roles, <laughs> uh, where he it's it's a, from 1998 where he plays a prick with a self entitlement issues, which almost feels like he's playing himself with a southern accent. <laughs> it, I, the, the thing is about Kenneth Branagh is. It, it's almost it, he is a good actor, mm. but it's almost like he's managed to convince the world that he is one of the world's greatest ever actors. <laughs> but through just sheer self belief alone, and yeah. I think you've kind of got to admire that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I think you do. Yeah, uh, the Gingerbread Man is fine, isn't it? I really like the Gingerbread Man. It was a bit of a kind of departure in that obviously there was the whole bit about. He's actually like conning him and stuff. Yeah. It added a layer. It added a layer, but it's yeah, it it was one of the, the lesser ones. Mm. Uh, we then moved up to Runaway Jury, which is the next one, I believe. Fucking great, Runaway. Um, which is but it's the first one not made in the nineties. Are the rest have been made in the nineties, and this was made in two thousand and three. Right. Um, so Runaway Jury is um based on the John Grisham movie Runaway Jury, uh, maybe, uh, but Runaway Jury. Uh, and he's directed by Gary Fleder and stars John Cusack, Gene Hackman, Dustin Hoffman, Rachel Weisz, uh, Bruce McGill, Jeremy Piven, uh, Cliff Curtis, Leland Orser is in there. And it is essentially, um, it's based around a case of a woman is suing the American gun industry. She's suing the one company and she bought it it's a collection of companies oh okay yeah it's like a conglomerate a conglomerate of, of, of american gun manufacturers 
um, for the death of her husband because she's claiming that they knowingly sell weapons that don't need to be used. Yeah. Um, and um, the story is, is about Gene Hackman plays a essentially like jewellery selector, doesn't he? He plays like a, yeah, like a this Machiavellian character in the background of the legal team, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that picks juries. Mm. Uh, and, but then John Cusack has got himself in on the jury and he's using his position within the jury uh, to essentially from the inside manipulate it to be able to sell it to either the prosecution or the defence, mm. which everyone wants to pay the most amount of money. Yeah. Uh, it's fun, but it very much feels like an early noughties thriller. It does, but I really, I, I really like. I like that, that about it, but it is a big jump from, let's say, something like The Firm or even mm. um, Rain Man or something like that. Yeah. This feels very it's fast paced. It's got a lot of like big cuts and bits like that, and there's computers <laughs> everywhere, and it feels very early noughties. It, it has that that kind of that that element to it. Uh, which kind of throws differences to, let's say, the other ones we've been watching. So it does feel like it's from a different universe of, mm. uh, of, of Grishies. Um, <laughs> what else did we watch? I watched, I did actually watch one on my own. I watched The Day After Tomorrow because uh, you were playing Control. And so I watched one of my comfort movies, which was The Day After Tomorrow because <laughs> um, I had a bad day and I was having another bad day the next day. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I wanted to watch The Day After Tomorrow because it's got a lot of weather in it, and I like a lot of weather in a movie. Um, so I, I went with that. Plus, J- Joan Hall, Snow, Death, Roland Emmerich. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. Uh, what else do we watch? Um, Becky's just letting the dog out, so I need to fill for a little bit. Uh, so we watched uh, Absolute Power, uh, the Clint Eastwood movie, because... Once we'd finished watching all of the John Grisham ones, we decided to watch a few Gene Hackman movies, because why the fuck not? Because we'd watched quite a few within that. Um, so we watched Absolute Power. Absolute Power is an odd one, isn't it, Bex? Yeah, it was a very strange film. Uh, in the sense that it was that Clint Eastwood plays a thief, a world-class thief, that accidentally witnesses um, the President of the United States, played by Gene Hackman, committing a murder. And then the Secret Service covering it up. From behind, like, uh, one of those mirrors you can see one way through. And, uh, yeah. One way through. Is that what it's called? Yeah. From behind one of them sat on a pervert chair. It's a cook chair. Yeah. A cook throne, I believe it is. Uh, uh, no, no, in, the, in those circles. In those circles. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> That's, it's fun, isn't it? The movie. It's too long. It is quite long. It's yeah. weird. And that scene is way too long. Mm. <laughs> but it's it, it, it's decent enough. Um so I'll get rid of death tomorrow. Watch City Hall, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I've seen this before. I, I don't know. Like Do you know how I first watched City Hall? I first watched City Hall when I uh, borrowed it out of the library in York. <laughs> fucking <laughs> hell. That's a fucking random one. How old are you, Mark? I am. I could get films from the library a year old. Same age, it's what. You're six months older than me, <laughs> and I never got filmed at the library. I got I got two movies that day out uh-huh. of the library. I got that and The Mission. Yeah. The Robert De Niro movie. Excellent. Yeah. 
Good day for you. Was a fucking ballet day for me. Yeah. The mission's a fucking good movie. How old were you? Well, that's the thing. We're both 15. And I was like 13. What are you doing getting fucking movies from the library? Because because I was at the library because I needed to get a couple of books for school. Uh, for a project. Where did you get off from Amazon? Because Amazon. Amazon didn't exist at the time. Yeah. Uh, or not freely available. Um, We're old, aren't we? It might not have even existed, actually. Um, but while I was there, I noticed a video stand. And so I obviously had a quick sort of flip through and was like, holy shit. I wonder how much these cost to rent. And they didn't cost a penny. Gosh. So, um, yeah, I thought, fuck this, this is an untapped resource. And then quickly <laughs> realised it wasn't really an untapped resource because there wasn't that much in it. So, um, yeah, but I did have written it from the library. Um, but it, it, it's good. It, it, it's about, um, Alpshina plays the, the mayor and there's a, of New York City and um, John Cusack plays his deputy mayor. And he, John Cusack, very much believes in him being a good guy and being a good, you know, you know, being good for the city, etc. Mm. And then something happens that they have to deal with. Is it? Is it? Mm-hmm. I thought you said something. Uh, when something happens, uh, when a kid gets accidentally shot in the streets, and it's the fallout of that. And I like the fact that it, it's, you keep thinking there's going to be this big revelation that, that Al Pacino's character has had something to do with it and he's not actually a good man, he's actually an arse or anything like that. And it's not, it's just that years ago he made a phone call to help a friend. Yeah. And that was it. And it's basically, look, this is just politics. It's not good or bad politics, it's just politics. Okay, hands dirty. Yeah. But it doesn't even get his hands that dirty. It, it's no. just, it's an unfortunate happenstance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. I think the, the 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 main kind of narrative thread in that is the kind of thing of it. He, he idolizes this man. He can he thinks he can do no wrong, and obviously it kind of crushes him finding out that he's not as squeaky clean as. Yeah, but he's not he's not dirty either. No. He's not doing it for money or anything like that. He's just doing it out of this weird sense of boys' club. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is that kind of thing. Uh, we also watched The Net. Yes. Because seemingly we're trying to watch all of the movies on John's <laughs> 90s thriller list. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> Somebody posted like a gif of The Net for the movie and I went, I can watch The Net again. Uh, so yes, we watched that the other night, didn't we? We did. It's a good movie, yeah, is The Net. It's Sandy V in good form. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has a moment where she orders pizza online and you go, Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> and then now, the stuff in this that is amazing is just stuff that you can do with your phone now. Not even stuff that you can can do with your phone. Stuff that you have to do with your phone now. Can you imagine watching it back in 1995? You'd be like, fucking hell. Can, can you imagine the time at, at, at Domino's when the fucking phone rings and everyone turns around and goes, <laughs> what the fuck? Who's got? We have a no. We have a phone. <laughs> The only reason to ring Domino's is when you're ordered late. Yeah. It says on the tracker it's been delivered and it has not. <laughs> My pizza arrived upside down. I swear I can hear someone just going num, 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 num outside my house. <laughs> we, <laughs> mild tangent, <laughs> what is it? We once ordered, no, you weren't there, were you? You were out. When I had a Domino's myself that time, it didn't arrive. It would be like an hour didn't arrive. So I rang up and complained. 
So they sent my order out again. And when it arrived, uh, it was actually the original order that got sent out. And the guy looked at me baffled um, because I went, look, I won't try to be a dick, but, you know, it wasn't, what is it? And he kind of looked at me and went, yeah, sorry, it's a bit late. And then gave me it. And then literally three, four minutes later, (laughs) my replacement order arrived. Decorating here, I mean, is the one still at? No, that came, that came right. Ah, did it? You know, this one when you were out, and I was sat there now on my own because Isabel was at was staying at Beck's parents, and you were out for the evening with. Because I got you the I got you some chicken wings to have when you got home <laughs> uh, with two pizzas, two um, of the wedges and chicken kicker sting combos, two of those, and um, two of whatever dessert was, but it wasn't been a cookie. Um, and two things the chicken wings going this is a fucking lot of food <laughs> <laughs> to all eat while I decided I was going to watch the first three Mission Impossible movies because there was only three at the time excellent choice uh, yeah yeah and then you just thought I'd been really generous and bought you like fucking 28 fucking hot wings when you got home <laughs> um, oh, I could eat some wings watched High Fidelity we did because we finished watching the series of High Fidelity which we really enjoyed and I love High Fidelity. It's one of my favourite movies of all time. Basically um, an any excuse kind of situation. Yeah, it? it was any excuse moment. Still love High Fidelity. It's fucking brilliant. Yeah. It's good actually, like watching the TV show and comparing them and seeing what, what beats from it they've carried over and what bits they've changed and things like that. That was that yeah. was quite good. I, I love about the fact that, that, that literally High Fidelity was like a star maker for Jack Black. Mm. I always forget how good of a singer he is. Yeah, that bit in, in High Fidelity mm. where John Cusack's like, oh, God, no, he's about to sing. And then he starts singing and he's like, yeah. oh, holy, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the fact that it's it's that song where they've decided, where the previously earlier in the movie, it's it, it said, you know, this, that's our song. Yeah. Um, and then we watched, not on then, we also, last one we've got, we watched Mississippi Burning. We did, because we decided that, yeah. why not watch a really depressing film about racism? Why, why, why not watch a really fucking miserable but brilliant film? Mm. Why mm. not get told off for two hours by Alan Parker? It's very good. Ian, have you ever seen Mr. Burning? No, I haven't, but I know of it, and yeah, that's quite a watch, eh? What I would say is, it's fucking brilliant in terms of that, and it has that Alan Parkeriness of it that is just... Really gritty, but really just fucking watchable. And Gene Hackman is in brilliant Gene Hackman, like charismatic performance. There's a bit where he goes into a um, like a private members bar, which essentially is a basically like a clan bar, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and he's kind of acting very because he plays the FBI agent in it that they're investigating the disappearance of two black civil rights activists and a uh, two white civil rights activists and a black civil rights activist yeah um and he's kind of gone at that bar and he's trying to talk to the the deputy sheriff um and then michael rucker is essentially basically giving him shit until to get the fuck out and then he literally just grabs his balls and starts squeezing his <laughs> balls while chewing out the detective in it the, uh, the, the deputy sheriff played by van der Rip. Uh, and he's, but he's still just squeezing Michael Rucker's balls, basically saying, "If you don't tell me what I want to know, I'm gonna rip his balls off." Mm-hmm. And it's just you watch it going. Only Hackman can do this. Mm. 
only Gene Hackman can be that charismatic and that calm and that cool whilst holding on to Michael Rooker's balls. Annie McPhee put in it as well, and just by the like browbeaten wife. Yeah. Who's it? Nanny McPhee? Nanny <laughs> McPhee. Francis McDormand. Right. You could see why I thought you said Nanny McPhee, though. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and the, 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 the way that they get, that some of the, once it goes, the, the Willem Dafoe going, I just want to get these guys, let's do it your way, it goes off in places. It does, yeah. Yeah, it's it's very good. I would say, Ian, at some point, I would absolutely watch it, but it's just fucking miserable for a lot of it, but it's entertaining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hmm. It, 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 it very much goes... Look, these people are fucking horrible. Mm. And never at any point tries to show you any reasoning for why they might be horrible. It is going, these people are dicks. Yeah, it's bad dickheads. Yeah, they're just bad dickheads. So that was it. So let's okay. let's move into um We can call into some shit. Looks like it. Breathe. Dream. Did you fuck him? Yeah, I fucked him! Oh. I fucked him real good! Oh, do you like this? I fucking loved it! Oh, you bitch! I fucked your brother last night, too! Oh, I'll fuck you, him in front of you, too! You fucking slut! Don't point your finger at me! Bitch, I'll fucking kill you! You kill me, I'll get the fucking cops down here so fast! How? 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 You're gonna be dead! I know, people! They're so good at improv. Oh, I fucking hate you! I fucking hate Don't you! Don't marry your home! I wish we you never can't make my housewife! You can't! Fuck! I don't want to be a fucking housewife! I like to suck dick! Oh. That's all I like to do! Oh, look. Fellow officer of the law. Mosa Beach. A little bit out of your jurisdiction, don't you think? Well, there's no jurisdiction. We're all Uber 2 now. We have a possible domestic disturbance at 14,000. No way to play. Do you copy? Boxer Santeros? Good evening, officer. I'm researching my movie. Sounds like you could use a little backup. Let's do Southland Tales first. Only because it's the earlier one of the two. <laughs> I want to watch Mulholland Drive then. Fair enough. Uh, so Southland Tales is a... It's... Well, it's Richard Kelly's follow-up uh, to the very, very successful Donnie Darko. I didn't realise that Richard Kelly had only actually done three movies. What's the other one? The Box. Oh. Yeah. Um... Okay. So, so yeah, uh, can you try and do the synopsis of this? Because it's mental. No. Oh, for fuck's sake. Um, the synopsis on Wikipedia is massive. Um, fuck it, I'm going to read it. Uh, it. I can't do the synopsis, I can't work it out. <laughs> it's so difficult. Yeah, what about this one? 
During a three-day heat wave just before a huge 4th of July celebration, an action star stricken with amnesia meets up with a porn star who is developing her own reality TV project and a policeman who holds the key to a vast conspiracy. Is that too little? That, yeah, no, I think that's fine. We'll stick with that. That'll yeah. do. That'll do. Um, Ian, we've rambled for an awful lot of times about what we've been watching here. So I think, it's, I think we should give you a chance to talk for a little bit. Um, Southland Tales. <laughs> Were you a fan before this rewatch? I mean, I I watched it around the time it came out on DVD back in the day, and I remembered bits of it. And yeah, I think I just came away from it thinking a bit, well, that wasn't Donnie Darko. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, the con the context behind it, where you know. This is chapters four through six of the Southland Tales kind of saga, you know, and there's graphic novel prequels and stuff. It's a bit, you know, I I think there's a case to be made that like people allowed Richard Kelly to think that he was going to be the next big thing. And this was this was a surefire hit. And then it all went horribly wrong. And I, 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 I think there's obvious, like, hubris within the film for just how long it is and just how much almost, like, homework it expected you to do to really get something out of it. It feels like the mid-noughties was, you know... I, 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 I think of, like, The Matrix and what they were doing with that, where you had the Animatrix and you had the video game Enter the Matrix, which yeah. had, you know, you played as Jada Pinkett Smith's character who's barely in the films, but the game kind of like filled out what she was doing. Um, it feels like Southland Tales was going for that kind of thing and, and fucked it. So you watch the film and Justin Timberlake's voiceover is kind of explaining bits of it, but that, you know, the, the idea of liquid karma being some sort of, you know, it's a fuel. Fair enough. Get that. It's also a drug. Oh, really? OK, fine. The Justin Timberlake character makes no sense to me whatsoever. Aside from the, you know, he was stationed with Sean William Scott's character and they were best friends. All right, fine. I get that at the end. That makes sense. Why why are we miming to the killers? I really like that sequence as an individual scene. Uh, why are we doing that? Um, the focus on Wallace, Sean and company. Don't don't really get that. But. There's really I find the film constantly entertaining it has my attention for the entire 159 minutes of the can cut. I we, we, we all watched, isn't it? Yeah, I I I was in all the way through. Never fully understood what was going on, but I just enjoyed. I it was almost like the parts of it were greater than the whole. I just I enjoyed the individual bits of it. The rock. His whole when he gets nervous, he starts kind of like like putting his fingers together and just like rubbing them about. 
fucking loved it. Um, the bit with Amy Poehler and Wood Harris, where like the scenes they have at the start, where they're doing a fake murder suicide to try and it, it, like get a cop in trouble, and how that all goes wrong. John Lovitz coming in, <laughs> just playing like the weirdest, but actually fairly convincing badass rough cop. Like he's playing almost like a parody of that role, but he plays it really well. And I, it's a fuck it's a fascinating bit of work. I don't think it hangs together, but it is a film that utters the line X is a pimp and pimps don't commit suicide a couple of times and it works. It it just it it fits. I like Southland Tales quite a bit, but I also 100% understand why people kicked up a fuss at it at the time. It's not what you thought it was going to be at all. It is a punch to the head and the film is the concussion. But (laughs) there's some joy there. Yeah. Yeah. Thoughts. <laughs> Very similar to be to be perfectly honest with you. It's it's a fascinating watch. Do the narrative elements work together? Maybe, who knows? Maybe. I'd, I'd like to read the graphic novels because apparently they explain an awful lot of the backstory. Could I just quick, quickly just interject yeah. because I'm sorry, it's a, I'm not gonna crush it. It, it. It's to it's to play on what you've just said. Yeah. Um it, so do you feel a little bit like it's like it's somebody explaining something that already knows how to do it, explaining it in a bad way? So you know, if somebody, do you know what I mean? Yeah. If, if you explain like the, how something works to somebody and you know how it works, and you are explaining it from a position to somebody who doesn't know how it works, how it works, mm. they might still go, "Brilliant, that makes sense." If you already know how it works. Yeah. I think I, I was reading something and it, it described it as middle film in a trilogy in which the the first film is actually a bunch of graphic novels and the third film never got made. Yeah. And I think from from the sounds of it, um, Richard Kelly spent an awful lot of time mentally building this universe and the backstory and all this kind of stuff and then just kind of dumped everyone in the middle of it. So, but he knew why this person was doing this thing because it's over here in this thing that he's made up, but it's not actually on the screen. So it was a bit like everyone was just like, what, what, what? And the friendly fire thing that that goes on with um, just Timberlake and uh, Shawn Scott. Yeah, Um, that's that's never explained what actually happens, but it's in the graphic novels. Um, So just. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of there's a lot of extra material there that would have gone a long way to making it a bit more coherent. But like I say, it is it's a good watch. It's it's engaging. You you don't feel terribly lost watching the film until you think about it afterwards and you're like, well, hang on a second. And yeah, I think it's it's just a very it's an oddity isn't it the little scientific crew 
feel like they've got lost on the way to an audition for a Jean-Pierre Junet movie and Richard Kelly was just like yes we will have you and Buffy well, should never well, be allowed to dance Ever. I mean, I mean you know, you know you, just you know who plays the what's his name Simon Fairy, I think his name is. Oh, what is it? Kevin Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Just the fact that the dude at the desk. The dude, the, the, the dude at the desk, the army guy who's got no legs anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's Kevin Smith. How is it? Kevin Smith. Just Kevin Smith playing a heavily made-up man with no legs. I don't know. It, 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 there are elements of this that feel really sincere and other elements that feel like they're quirky for the sake of being quirky. Um, and it, yeah. I, God, it's, I, yeah, I, it, it's so fucking weird. Sorry, Mark. The weird thing is, if you look at Kevin Smith's acting credits that aren't like his own movies, he hasn't acted in an awful lot. Um, but they're always like really fucking odd ones. Like he was in Daredevil, fair enough. He's in a huge Daredevil fan. But he was in like the Dougal movie. <laughs> and he was in Catch and Release. It just mm. some odd ones there. Um, I really liked Southern Tales when I first watched it. Yeah. Uh, which I love in. I think I think I don't think I caught this. I think it was on. Video on DVD, I think. Okay. It was the first time we watched it, I think. No, did we go to City Screen? No, I don't think we saw it in the cinema. Yeah, so I think it was on DVD uh, there. And I enjoyed it, but I remember thinking, it, it, it's a bit of a mess. Yeah. And it is a bit of a mess. Yeah. It absolutely is. It, it's, it does feel a little bit like a, a film where it, there's just too much thrown at it. Yeah. Um. And it's it's all got to land, and so much of it just doesn't fucking land um, at all. Like you said, the Ian, the it, it also feels very much a piece of its time. It's not a film that's interested in anything outside of what has happened in the past couple of years. Yeah. You know, you've got a soundtrack that's populated by things like the Killers, a song from literally a couple of years before it came out. Yeah, that's a weird thing. For no reason. Yeah. Well, like you're saying, it's a fun scene there, but it bears no relevance to the film at all. Yeah. No, because it's like he has the blue karma and then trips his balls off or yeah. whatever. And it, but it, it, sorry, go it just it doesn't lead to anything. Like there are a couple of moments where people inject themselves and then I don't know seem to, to like, I don't know fucking chase the dragon or whatever. But it, it doesn't do anything other than, huh, that's quite an interesting scene. Which And that's this film. It's a series. Every single scene is, huh, that was interesting. That was entertaining. But it just doesn't. It, but it's not a fucking story. Nope. And it, but there's that. It, it, just, it seems a little bit like he's gone. I want a trip out scene. Like in Big Lebowski. Mm. So I need to have a song, but... Right, what album did I like recently? And then you had like <laughs> stuff like, you know, there was there was that was in it. Um, there was Blur's Tender was in there, and then you had yeah. um, Elbow, Muse, and Elbow, and the thing scored by Moby, and it just it, it feels very much like a a compression of everything that people thought was cool 
around that fucking time. Yeah. You know, Buffy's in it. Saw William Scott, the stifler from fucking American Pie's in it. I like wrestling. The fucking rocks in it. Yeah. Yeah, look. It's the fucking naughties crammed together and then <laughs> boom. It's like, I mean, yeah. yeah, fair enough. It is 2001 to 2005 in a film. Yeah, it is. It, it's remarkable. And at, at points, it it's quite. It, it, I say it's quite entertaining. Mm. I, 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 I don't. I don't much try to say, but I don't think it says it. <laughs> no, because I mean, all, for all the, the the world building, it basically comes to Sean William Scott travels back in time. There's two of them. If they meet, it will basically be the end of the world. Yeah, that's that's the story. And yeah. yet you've got all of this stuff. You know, you've got Miranda Richardson doing a couple of scenes on set where she's in front of a green screen with a bunch of fucking TVs behind her. And she's just barking shit. It, yeah. I, yeah. Fuck. It, it, it's Christopher the, Lambert is, is, is an arms dealer that works out of an ice cream truck. An ice cream truck. <laughs> And who I forgot he was in it. I thought he was Michael Wincott for the longest fucking time. Um, I, it, it just the fact that Richard Kelly went from Donnie Darko to this, to a box, to twelve years without making a film. Yeah. You know, the, the thing is, Donnie Darko is a good film. It's a very good film. Donnie Darko is cracking. I like the box. Sorry. Yeah, the box is. Is interesting and it was fun and it, it it it's fun, but then I don't understand why he's not made anything else. Yeah. Did the box perform well? Or? The box no. did all right. Yeah. yeah. I think I think the fact that the the fact that people didn't get um South and Tales, I think just kind of crushed him a little bit. It's quite but, sad. But again, I, it, it's... But... Yeah, yeah but, but just... Second movie. Yeah. yeah that's, it, that's it. Yeah, it is trying to be this expansive. And like you say, it was... Um, it, it was almost like... It's like you tried to make a concept film. Where he went, right, you've got to have read these three graphic novels before it. It's like, right. You aren't there yet, mate. But this is like a, it's a, it's, it's a starter, though. Yeah. It, but, it's just, just, like, I think you used the word uh, earlier, the, the, the hubris of it all is there, but the movie isn't good enough to justify all the hubris. It's, I enjoy Sounds and Tales. And the weird thing is, when I rated it on Letterboxd, I originally put four, and I was like, no. That's too, it's not a four fucking star movie. <laughs> three, but no, it's not. It's not a three star movie either. Three and, three and a half. Sweet spot. But I did enjoy it. I will watch it again. It is fun. It's just, I. It's the sort of thing where I'd be fascinated to sit with Richard Kelly and say, what what was it about? What 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 what, what was it? And all this lot but not fascinating enough to watch a making of a documentary or something that will explain that to me anyway. 
Yeah, I, it, it, I mean, it, that, that, that's it. I mean, with The Matrix, it's like at least they had that first film that cemented, OK, people are interested in this world. Yes. They went, you know, they went too far with The Matrix as well. But you can see the line of thinking. The fact that it was Donnie Darko and then suddenly there's going to be three graphic novels and a film. And they had like this big, like sprawling website at the time as well. And then it plays can and immediately the air goes out of the balloon. And then Richard Kelly takes it away for a year to re-edit it. And he only cuts like 10 minutes out. Yeah. And added, uh, was it a million quid's worth of special effects? Um, oh, to the theatrical cut, really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, such a fucking odd, what is it? And it, it, it bombed. Mm. It absolutely it really badly. bombed. Um, and the, the, the cut that we watched is better than the theatrical. Yeah, I prefer the cans cut. Yeah. Yeah. What's it, what's? I mean, do you remember kind of like? I'm, I'm not trying to put you guys on the spot. What what's different about it? I just don't remember the theatrical cut at all. I I, I don't remember specific differences, but I I remember this flows better. It's longer, okay. but it flows better. Yeah, it's a lot longer. Isn't it? uh, it's about twenty odd minutes long, I think. Um, but it just it, it has more of a um, it, it just it you seem to be taken along on the ride with this mark. Whereas I remember, because in the theatrical version a couple of times, I remember always feeling a little bit a, a little bit like you were missing parts of it. Mm. Um, uh, Runs almost 15 minutes longer. Most notably, the Doomsday scenario interface exposition dumped from early in the film is completely gone. Its most relevant information now laid in through Pilot Abilene's voiceover narration. Many scenes are extended and characters fleshed out. Uh, thereby, most notably Simon Theory. One standout extension includes a bravura driving sequence that seeps into a pensive montage of various characters, all set to music's ethereal blackout. Yeah, that's not in it, is it? Yeah, as a result of these additions, the connectivity of the film's numerous plot threads feels more organic, and its internal logic gains substantially. Yeah, it, 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 it just flows better. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, but I'm definitely not shit for it. Because I don't think it's I don't think it's shit. I just don't think it it lands the way that that Richard Kelly wanted it to land. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And he's a the weird thing is Richard Kelly when he releases something else, if he releases something else, will be the visionary director of Johnny Darker. Yeah. And it's yeah. like that's a twenty year old fucking movie. Yeah. And it's like, is it visionary? Is he a visionary? I mean, if his visions are crap, <laughs> but I don't mean the crap movies. But it just it just doesn't work. No. It's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. But it does it does feel like a. It it, it does feel like somebody with no life experience trying to make a David Lynch film. <laughs> yeah. And all he had was a copy of MTV Super Hits 2005. <laughs> the soundtrack it with. The soundtrack it with. Fair play. Yeah. yeah, that's probably fair. Yeah, it's, it's an odd timepiece. Yeah, I'm definitely not shit. Um, <laughs> Becky? Definitely not shit. 
Actually, I wish it made more sense. Yeah. <laughs> and Ian. Yeah, definitely not shit. shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Our, our audience poll, definitely shit 40%, touching cloth 20%, shit 30%, and Geostorm 10%. This I is a, see a show for Geostorm. This is a Geostormy movie, I would yeah. say, yeah. yeah. Uh, right. Hey, do you know do you know this girl? Do you, you know where she is? Hey, fuck you, seriously. Ah! Oh. 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 Get oh. the fuck oh. out of here. Oh. It's the ladies' room. Piece of shit, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Under the Silver Lake. Uh, it's a, uh, a kind of comedy noir, uh, but with a black comedy. What is it from Dave Robert Mitchell, who had, excuse me, uh, the previous couple of years beforehand done It Follows, which was the big hot horror of that of that year. That uh, I think both me and you, Ian, fucking hated. Bobbins, <laughs> it's shit. So when he came out with this that starred uh, Andrew Garfield, Riley Keough, Topher Grace, uh, Ricky Lindholm, um, Ray Van Patten, uh, various sort of other semi-known people, I would say, uh, within it, uh, set against a um, in Los Angeles um, with Andrew Garfield's character playing just a bit of a dick, really. Just a guy who just doesn't really do much, bombs around and just is a bit of an ass. Um, and he kind of gets involved in what might be a conspiracy sort of theory where his neighbour miraculously disappears and then her remains are discovered uh, on the uh, wreckage of a billionaire's um, crashed helicopter. Um, and in trying to track down what happens to her uh he gets himself embroiled more into this weird kind of conspiracy world um ian what did you think of your uh, rewatch of under the silver lake yeah i still really like under the silver lake um it's just all about how men can be shit and just focus on the wrong things, take meaning from absolute bollocks and don't focus on the things in front of them. And I think it's fucking fascinating. The film is laughing at a lot of the people who would be watching it, uh, which I like. Um, what struck me this time is I kind of wondered how much of it was actually happening within the reality of the film and how much was happening in his head. Um, you know, the um, the bit where the, the guy from Mulholland Drive um, kills himself and then he sees the owl woman on the, on, on the, the, the footage and then obviously she comes along as well, like, don't think any of that was actually happening. He's made like through the film. He's an unreliable narrator. And it's like, 
the film is presenting stuff that he's being told and things that you see he's discovering, but also things that he is seeing. And it's how much of it is he actually seeing to kind of like try and fit together the logic within his head. You know, I, I, I it's like a fascinating mystery in that way of not necessarily what is going on, but how much of it is actually happening. Um, you know, I mean, the bit where the um, the the rich guy's daughter, he's in that lake with her and then she's killed and it just cuts to him waking up the next day. And did that actually happen? I, it, I, I thought that was interesting, but also I think there's some properly funny shit in it. The Homeless King is great. Yeah. Um, just his last bit where he just says, bye. <laughs> and just kind of like waves his fingers at him. And like, I, I love it. I, I, and also one of the best scenes of recent years in the film as well, where, you know, and it, I think it's interesting where it comes in the film because it's, it's a lot earlier than I remembered it being. Yeah. Is he talking about the scene, the scene I think you're going to talk about? It happened. I was like, wait a minute. There's like 40 odd minutes left. Yeah. Yeah. There's still about 40, 45 minutes left of the film. And you get the old man at the piano talking about how the songwriter, yeah, yeah, and yeah, like the songwriter and how he basically he created everything that Andrew Garfield's character seems to like find meaning in in life, and it it wasn't the work of some individual creator it was just all him churning out product the the, the fucking the, the, the line i wrote i wrote your childhood in with somewhere in between a blowjob and an omelette yeah it's a <laughs> fucking beautiful line it's such a great fuck you of a moment in a movie yeah it is i i'd, I'd be fascinated to know where this film came from you know what was it that he just like david robert mitchell just had this in his back pocket and when it follows hit it was just like i've got something else because it wasn't that far after it follows and it's like now no one talks about him no one talks about it follows that is a film whose footprint is fucking evaporated um and under the silver lake is just this Again, like like with Southland Tales, it's someone, and it wasn't. It, I mean, it wasn't David Robert Mitchell's um, uh, second film, but he's still relatively early on. And it was basically, here are a bunch of famous people, not Southland Tales level of cast, but you know, not nothing. You know, you you had Andrew Garfield relatively recently coming off of Spider Man, Riley Keough, who is an up and comer, and then who's that uh, like? that hey that guy's all over the fucking shop um yeah. so this was his third movie wasn't it yeah yeah uh, the myth of the american sleepover i think yeah, was his first, was which, was, which yeah. was all right you know yeah it was um yeah um and it's just this fucking sprawling baffling like becky said earlier on kind of like more in keeping with like the likes of mulholland drive than anything else and i think it's just a great comment on masculinity today and i i include myself in it where we have been brought up on pop culture and you know video games and movies and 
try you know trying to find some sort of meaning from your life and the the film's message seems to be don't try to find any greater meaning just live your fucking life because you're probably not special that's not a terrible message for a lot of people to hear including myself you know focus on what's in front of you don't focus on a great conspiracy that only you can resolve I think that's fucking interesting. Anyway, yeah. Dex, what do you think of rewatching Fun of the Silver Lake? Um, I've never, um, I've never really thought of it from the point of view of the unreliable narrator kind of trope. I guess it is a bit of a trope, isn't it? Um, sure. I, I tend to just watch it as just the film in front of me. But it is it adds an interesting layer if you're kind of mistrusting what he's showing you, essentially. Um I might have to rewatch it and watch it with those those glasses on. Um I I absolutely love it. It's it's like it's it's noiry and kind of mystery, but you've got that kind of supernatural weirdness as well. So it's it's kind of it's spanning a couple of genres and just it's just really interesting. Um I I didn't like it as much on first watch as you did. I liked it, but I didn't like it as much as you did. And now I will have to admit that I was an idiot at that point. It's it's fantastic. Cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really liked it first watch. I, I, I really got on with it. The fact that it's just like you said there, Ian, for the end, you said, said there where it's just a look stop fucking looking for meaning occasionally there isn't any meaning occasionally things are just fucking this sounded cool or that rhymed with this and that's why it was there not everything has to be a fucking message it can sometimes be just a fucking old guy behind the piano i I fucking liked that Mm. that scene Mm. is fantastic the utter fucking contempt that that fucking guy has for everything you know, he's not doing it. And the, the wonderful there is he's not doing it for any fucking Machiavellian fucking reasons. He's just doing it because he gets paid to fucking <laughs> do it. And that's it. And it's kind of that fucking... It's kind of like, hey, what if Burt Bacharach was an arsehole? <laughs> he's wonderful. <laughs> um, of it. And I, I, I adore that about it. And the fact that they've made him look fucking like shit as well. Um in there and oh is that Kurt Cobain's guitar I don't know it fucking might be <laughs> yeah and the fact that he, he kills him with a with the fucking symbol of his use uh, the fact that he kills the guy with the fucking what is it mm. but then again like you can say does that any of that fucking happen does it mean anything if it does yeah does it mean anything or is it just the fact is that just his brain of just going my fucking my entire existence of, of being this you know, of what I am, is gone. But it also contains him beating the living fuck out of children, which I fucking loved. Mm. The fact that he does that, because he should fucking do that. Like, on to the hidden meaning thing, though. You, you, get, you get a certain level of acceptance from him at the end, don't you? Because he's, he's, he's agonised over the hidden meaning behind all these things. And it's mentioned a few times in the film, what, what's the fucking bird saying? Yeah. And at the end, he asks her, and she's like, I don't know, I've never been able to work it out. And he just accepts it. Yeah. And goes and stands out on the balcony and watches his fucking landlord kicking him out, essentially. And just 
there seems to be a level of acceptance of just I'm just gonna do stuff. Yeah, maybe I don't need to try to understand mm. everything. Mm. Uh, it's it's very much bathing in uh, the myth of Hollywood as well. Mm. Of old Hollywood. Mm. In that. There's so many references to old school Hollywood movies that are within it. Um, and it's there's almost an element of of showing off, I think, from David Robert Mitchell there, but without rubbing your face in it. Well, on your old Hollywood thing, just before you move on, because I was reading the trivia on IMDb earlier, apparently the signs where Riley Keough is in the swimming pool are almost exact recreations of scenes from Marilyn Monroe's last film. Yeah. Which was never completed. Yes, there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, there's just so much within that and the fact that there is those old school movie posters everywhere. Um, and it's... You go on this weird kind of journey, and it's very long, and it's very slow paced, and it's very meandering. And then you've got the tough grace and the drone thing of like him stopping it and going, look, look, you can peep in this girl, and like fucking she, 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 an underwear model, and then it's just her just being really sad. Yeah. yeah. And then just going, oh, that, that was quite that, that didn't, you know, almost yeah. going that didn't that 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 didn't work, did it? No. <laughs> and him just getting up and going, I'm gonna go and. It's Topher Grace's character literally fucking looking like just literally like the genericest of um, sort of hipsters there. Um, You've got all these people, all the supporting characters are like people doing stuff to try and advance themselves, but they're not really. And they're all, it, it kind of it paints a fairly sad picture of, of people the kind of people who move to Hollywood and what they will convince themselves is satisfactory. Yeah, I, I love Jimmy Simpson's character. Which one's that? The fact that he's mate, Alan. Oh, yeah. The fact that every time he's at a party, he's wearing a blouse. <laughs> he's wearing a woman's top for no fucking reason. <laughs> it's just, it, it's 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 almost like you know that that um, that David Mitchell knows somebody like that. Yeah. He's got a mate like that. And it's not, a, it's never poked fun at him or anything like that. It's just, I don't give a shit, I'm going to wear it. I liked it. Yeah. And it, it, it kind of works within that. Um, I, it, it's, it's a really fun, funny movie that lays it, 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 it It's almost like the people who are watching it are the people who are, who are getting fucking the piss taken out of them about it. And I quite like that about it. Yeah, yeah. I... I and again, it, it, I, I, I fall victim to this of, you know, coming into a, a film with false expectations. But like, what, the, this is such a different film from It Follows, which is such a different film from The Myth of the American Sleepover, that I, I to get what you get here, I, I, I'm not surprised that it got the, react, uh, the, the, the reaction that it got. But, you know, they're, I know one of the one of the big comments against it was like a, a, a vein of um, misogyny about it, which I don't know that it does focus on women a lot, but it's also seeing them through the character's eyes. I'll be honest and I, I will freely admit that I am not it's not something that I actually tend to pick up on that much, but I don't go looking for it either. Mm. Um, I, I don't get I, I don't get that criticism for it. No. 
I, 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 I never quite understood that. It almost felt a little bit like, is this a movie about saying stop looking for the fucking meaning in everything, and then people have tried to look for a fucking meaning in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it, I, I don't know. I mean, it, the whole thing is him fixating on Riley Keough. You know, for and I mean, and and I, th- I think it's interesting that, that towards the end when they're on that video call and he's like, I've been looking for you, and she's like, Why? She doesn't then chew him out or anything. She's actually, she's very nice about it, but it it is a little bit. Well, yeah, why you basically met her for what like one evening, and now your entire life has been to the detriment of pretty much everything else. Has been focused on trying to find her, which is I, I you know it's a noble act, but it's also a little bit creepy. Um, it's the whole kind of like the the noir um like fucking almost like private eye detective uh that and he he's just kind of got caught up in that i think yeah. and, and and again i mean like he feels like he's he's part of the conspiracy that only he can crack and then he gets his answer and the answer is fucking outlandish you know it, it's very silly but at the same time he has absolutely no agency over any of it whatsoever you know, he finds he finds the clues. He goes there. He does. He, he not right from the start. You never get the impression that he's actually going to win. Yeah. Because you know that there might not even be anything to win. <laughs> no, ex- exactly. And yet people are saying, well, you know, it, it's just it's kind of creepy and it's it's ogling at women and whatnot. I don't I don't necessarily think it's it's ogling at them. It's Andrew Garfield's character is this sad sack bastard who needs to snap out of it, stop being such, stop being such a twat, and just live his life. And at the end of the film, has he learned anything? Not really. Oh. How does the film end? It ends with him kind of almost like laughing at the fact that he's got one over on his landlord for another day. Yeah. Great. And, and you know that he's probably just going to stay with the lady with the bird for a few weeks until he finds something else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it, it's a slice of life of a not super compelling character who just live, like lives his life. And I, I, I think that's interesting because the situations he gets himself into are interesting. Um, yeah, I... I, I it's a very, very odd film, but what it's got to say about the meaning that people place into things, I think is very, there's some compelling stuff there, and I think people should give it another go. It feels like what, if like Showgirls, it feels like one that will be reevaluated. Yeah, it's, I, I, I do think about it, I, I, I it, it, when I when we first watched, I gave it four and a half stars. I bumped up to a five star right now. Yeah, yeah. Because I just had an absolute fucking blast with it, <laughs> and I like the fact that it it, it it pissed off a lot of people, but I can't work out why. <laughs> yeah, why? Because there's certain films where I watch them and go, I fucking love that, and but, pe- I it, it, but I can see why it pissed off people. For instance, Dragged Across Concrete. I can see why that yeah. pisses people off, but I still fucking like it. Part of the reason is because it pissed people off. 
but I don't see this. I, I, it's people's criticisms of it seem to be clutching. Yeah. And it's a little bit. I, I kind of like that about it. Plus, plus, and I don't need to. I don't feel I need to bring it up again, but I'm gonna punch the kid in the the balls and the kid in the face. Yeah, that's pretty solid. Which you're looking at going. Like, like you know someone will be looking at it going I mean you should never do that and I'm looking at going you should fucking absolutely do that if, if there was that. a fucking bin nearby you should fucking drop one of them fucking in it <laughs> it was glorious so the reason why the fourth uh, Transformers movie is the best one because Matt Wahlberg punched the kid in the start of it nice yeah uh, definitely not shit yeah, definitely not shit. Uh, our audience poll there, definitely not shit. 70%. Uh, nice. 30%. That's fair. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually genuinely a little bit surprised about that. Yeah, so am I. But hard. Yeah. Uh, questions? Just before we go on to questions, uh, we had a message today on Twitter from a listener pointing out that I got my Ronans and my Wozikowskas mixed up last week when I said that I didn't forgive Mia Wozikowska for the Lovely Bones. I hate them both equally, which is why I mixed them up. I don't forgive Mia Wozikowska for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. All the Lovely Bones. <laughs> she may have had a hand in it. <laughs> but it, it's the wooden acting from both of them means that I'm, I'm getting muddled up in my head. Fair enough. Um, Apologies for the mix-up there. For the question though, uh, which came from uh, Bellatar Marcus A. Numbers. Um, looking at the greatest uh, top 250 on IMDb, uh, Amsterdam, a dodgy list at best class, Amsterdam. Uh, how many haven't you seen, and what's the highest ranked of those? So for mine, I haven't seen 17 of them, and it's number 32, uh, Harakiri. I haven't seen 38 of them. And yeah. to be honest, looking at them, not many of them will I ever. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's some roppy shit in there, isn't there's there? There's some odd fucking choices. Yeah, uh, my highest is number six because I've never seen Schindler's List. Will I ever see Schindler's List? Probably not. The thing is that what I would say there is, Ian, if you've not seen Schindler's List yet, I don't see a, a world where you're going to need to see it. No, it's not a good one. Actually, it's going to grab the charge so you can do yours back. Uh, so my highest that I've not seen is <laughs> City of God at number 22. Um, and the total that I've not seen out of them is 55. But like I say, there's some ropey shit in there, so I'm not too ashamed. Yeah, yeah. It's the quality is a mixed bag, I think. Mm. Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> no, I might have to run and get the charger. Sorry. Okay. Um, ah, we're almost done. Uh, Rick J. Kid, question of the week. Oh, uh, I'll promise to do mine. Oh, sorry, mate. Yeah. Uh, oh. Uh, oh, God, I hate to be as well. Mine, uh, I haven't seen 31. Um, and uh, my highest is number 44, Untouchable. Lovely. Which yeah. I still won't watch. Not because <laughs> of any reason, just of I don't get why that's at number forty four. And it might be a brilliant movie. But it just feels really random. Yeah. Sorry, let me just clarify. That's not the one about Harvey Weinstein. All of the football. No. No. What was I gonna say? 
No, it's a French movie from like 2014, I believe. I think mm. it's French. Yeah, no, that doesn't. The plot, the plot synopsis doesn't grip me there, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, right. We have another question, we do, don't we? Uh, Rick Kidd, I'm Rick Jerkin. If you could work at one workplace featuring a movie, what would it be and why? The real estate agents from Glengarry Glen Ross. Wow. Oh, with the clothing. You just want to, you basically, you, you, you are basically saying, I want to be Alec Baldwin in Glengarry Glen Ross. I want to be in a movie of arseholes. I want to be the biggest arsehole in that movie. Oh, Mr. McGorium's Wonder Emporium. I won't mind working there. Film's shit, but it looks like a fun place to work. Ian, what's yours? Empire Records because of Rennie Zellweger. It's a strong shout, is Empire Records. It is a strong shout, yeah. It is. I mean, mine's, mine's Championship Vinyl. <laughs> High Fidelity. Yeah, because fair enough. It, yeah, it does. Yeah. It literally feels like. Empire Records is a good shout, though. Empire Records was my, was my number two there, because it is a good show. So I might work at Empire Records because then I get to hang out with Ian all day. Yeah, do that. Yeah. Just, just me and Ian just trying to not get caught looking at Renis Elvigan. I'll sell you a house. Yeah, that I won't be able to afford because I'm looking at a record star. True. Okay. Oh, <laughs> <dearie> me. <laughs> yeah, uh, right, so that was episode 384. What are we covering next week? We have got Judas and the Black Messiah. Fuck, is that next week? HBO Max on Friday. Oh. I hope it's not a case of expectations exceeding reality on this one. I don't think it will be. I don't think it will be. I think it's going to be fucking... Oh, it's going to be good. For that. Um, and uh, if we want news of the world. Mm. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it. Oh, I don't even know what it's about, but from the poster and the title, shitty postman. Tom Hanks delivering news directed by Paul Greengrass. I don't know. I'll give it a go, but if we're not... That sounds all right. Yeah. It's just a weird poster. I still don't trust him in the aftermath of Greyhound. God, Greyhound was fine. It's Greyhound the boringest thing ever. I made up a whole new word. Boringest. Boringest isn't a word. Solid. It. <laughs> right, well, thank you, John Rebecca. Thank you for having me. And thank you, Rich, for joining me in. Thank you ever so much. And we shall speak to you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. When there's nowhere else to run, is there room for one more sun? One more sun.
Syndicate Valley. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com.